humans. It is I, Priapus, from the anime Maria the Virgin Witch, and somehow I've been transported far away from France to somewhere much dorkier than Maria's place. Well, with that being said, I guess you can all tell that we're going to do an episode tonight. So, I must warn you to who it may concern. The following episode may contain situation and language that is not suitable for all audiences, so listeners' discretion is advised. Though this episode may be a hoot, it's not suitable for all ages. Also, remember that spoilers for any and all anime may occur, including Maria the Virgin Witch, so please watch ahead and then come back to this episode if that concerns you. And a reminder that the views and thoughts do not reflect Dub Talk as a whole and only the participants of this episode. Now, with that being said, I think I need to fly back to Maria in France and hope that you all enjoy Maria the Virgin Witch. Welcome to Dub Talk, the podcast where a group of witches get together and discuss the latest and greatest in English dubs. Surprise, motherfucker! It's another Stefan Megan Filler episode! <laughs> I'm just laughing because of the pre recording bullshit! <laughs> I went to bed at 4 a.m. last night because I was putting together the fan vote shit. This is coming out after that's going up so I can talk about that. That, yeah, <laughs> we're talking about like the the viewers' choice for the dubbies. I'm currently drinking my second cup of coffee. I can't it's believe the that... afternoon today on a Sunday, shit's about to go down. I can't believe that Gritty got so many votes from our internal survey. <laughs> no, he did not, you motherfucker. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there is no write-in section for Gritty, you bastards. That's what you think. <laughs> no. No, no, here's what I need to tell Roots later. There's a random write-in section on the put... ballot, and all it is Please is don't! I'm gonna have to fucking- Please don't, I'm gonna be the one who has to fucking count all this shit later. <laughs> It'd be the greatest thing in the world. Anyway, anyway. Write-in section, my hopes and dreams. God damn it. Anyway, today we're gonna be revisiting a series that was one of the early episodes of Dub Talk. Way before it was a full podcast, and before there were a dozen of us crazy motherfucking morons. Um, Tonight, we promote- This afternoon, we, Meg and Steph, will perform an act of necromancy! No, we won't. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, we're having a weird time-lapse moment, because we're recording on a Sunday afternoon and not at night. Yeah, no, it's not- We were supposed to record this last Wednesday. (laughs) But then work was nuts for me, so... (laughs) But we're not going to talk about that. Anyway, the series we're going to be talking about today is Maria the Virgin Witch, the 2015 series from Production IG, and based on the original manga, which is currently licensed by Kondasha. Uh, I do have that manga. It's actually really short. I meant to read the entire thing before today. I only read the first volume, actually. (laughs) I didn't get the chance to read the Holy shit, you're a woman that can read. You're a fucking witch. Burn her! Burn her at the stake. Take. Wait, no, 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 no. Throw her in the river. If she drowns, then she's clearly not a witch. But if she floats, she weighs as much as a duck. Did I mention <laughs> that's clearly Steph- a witch? 
Did I mention Steph turned me into a newt? <laughs> I a got newt? better. I got better. better. I got better. No. Uh, it's so it's funny cuz in in um elementary school in 5th grade, I w at one point I was just randomly obsessed with the Salem witch trials. Because we were doing like different reports and stuff like that, and I was that's really like a vein. That's like it. the most New England thing I think you've ever New England. Ah! No, I love history. All right. I mean, in in high school, my my greatest my greatest time period I was like really good with was um what was it? I think it was the Civil War actually that I was just obsessed with. I'm like I am weird. All right. I like my history. Okay. Anyway. Like, I'm just imagining 15-year-old Steph, like, glued to the TV, watching, like, a, like, endless marathon of Gone with the Wind. I actually have not seen Gone with the Wind. Neither have you I. I fucking believe it. Anyway, if... <laughs> I'm trying to go back to my reading. I don't even have my glasses on right now. If you're... If you've yet to see this series, here's a quick little summary. In the time of the Hundred Years' War, a young and powerful witch known as Maria leads a recluse life. Or existence, I should say. Recluse existence. I can't read. I'm going to redo that again. <laughs> uh, the coffee is yet to kick in. Uh, uh, again, I'm on my second cup, man. So try again. All right. Whew. In the time of the Hundred Years' War, a young and powerful witch known as Maria leads a recluse existence. Shunned by the church but beloved by a few locals, Maria endeavors to use her magic to bring an end to the warfare she so despises. Using her magical ability, she aids humanity alongside her two familiars, a seductive succubus and an incubus who's a little incomplete. Uh, though she seeks only peace, the Archangel Michael despises the way she uses magic to interfere with, interfere with human affairs and decrees that should she ever manage to lose her virginity, her powers will vanish. To ensure that Maria no longer mixes magic with warfare, Michael sends the angel Ezekiel to keep a watchful eye on the virgin witch. In theory, his plan is sound, but keeping a young, a fiery, well, but keeping a fiery young woman bound by the rules of a higher power might prove too daunting even for an ever-vigilant angel. So get ready for a lot of sex jokes. Yahoo! <laughs> like, in your endo! Get, get ready for a lot of medieval sex jokes and innuendos and... The world's oh, greatest oh. potential husband. Yes. <laughs> His name is Joseph. Jeff. Um, as always, we're going to be covering the series, discussing the various performances, and giving our thoughts on the dub as a whole. Okay, so time to get our wands and cauldrons ready because we are going to be starting with... My wand. Yeah. Do you Your ever wand? think that, like, you ever think that if the witches, like, lived on to the modern age, that some of them would use a dildo as a wand? Okay, I'm okay. I'm clearly I mean, way I mean, too tired. And I mean, you know, you know the actual history about the Maypole, right? Oh yes, I know. That's why that's one of my favorite lines <laughs> in the <this> show. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we're gonna start with the staff. So we're gonna talk about the ADR directors and the writers. Um, there are co-directors and co-writers on this show. For the co-directors, I say this because. How ANN has it listed is both of them are list both of these directors are listed as the main director and the and the assistant. So I'm just gonna call them co-directors in all honesty. Which is um, weird because if I, I check the if I'm right and I check the credits, it was always one of them was the lead and one of them was the assistant. Exactly. Changed. It always flipped it. I looked at that too a few times. 
So, the ADR directors, co-directors, we have Sunny Strait, who has been the director for the Funimation version of Escaflone, Raja Bahamut, and Servamp, and we also have Miss Caitlin Glass, who has directed series such as Cardcaptor Sakura Clear Card, various, basically all of the Garo animated series, any iterations of it, and Sakura Quest. Meanwhile, as for our script writers, and Megan's going to be so happy. Very happy about this. I yes. love this script. So, I'm, I'm sorry. This is my favorite. One of my favorite it's scripts It's a great script, anime. honestly. So one of our writers is Patrick Seitz, who has been the script writer for series such as Gamers, Monster, and Princess Jellyfish. And then we also have Christian Lamont, who has been a writer for series such as Castletown Dandelion, Garo the Animation, and specifically just that one, and then Kakigururi. Uh, Megan. Kakigururi. How are we feeling about these... Uh, Holy Staffing. shit, I love the fucking script of this show. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, let me get director out of the way. Directors out of the way. Um, if you... Uh, so by accident, my Blu-ray copy was a little wonky, unfortunately. Um, if you've ever uh, watched the show on Blu-ray, for some reason, it would not let me select watching the show normally at first. And kept kicking me into the commentary. So I watched about the first two minutes of the commentary every time. Oh and, god, I watched the episode one commentary last night. It's the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> to uh, me. So one of the things that you'll learn is that Maria the Virgin Witch is the first show that Sunny Strait came back and directed after a 10-year hiatus. And mm -hmm. from what I remember, too, um, this is one of... This is not Funimation's first simuldub. I want to get this out of the way because there are about two different schools of thought of what is Funimation's first simuldub. Um, there's the one school of thought that it is Space Dandy, and there's the other school of thought that it is a combination of Psychopaths and another show that we're going to be covering, uh, next year for its four-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. Um, what this is, is Maria the Virgin Witch is one of the first shows that was part of the broader start to the simuldub yep. Era. It was part of the bigger expansion when Chin. they really just kicked the project into high yeah. gear. So one of the things that it was, though, is there's kind of like two schools of thought, I think, on where certain projects lied, uh, lay for that era. And that season, the big, the bigger property shows were pushed onto a block called Double Talk. Yes. And that was Tokyo Ghoul Re, uh, which was directed by Mike McFarlane. Um, Correction, Tokyo Ghoul Rude. Hey, not Re Rude, my bad. Tokyo Ghoul Rude, which was a Mike McFarlane project, which we've covered. Uh, Death Parade, which was Zach Bolton, I think, right? Yeah, those yes, Zach, Zach Bolton. Bolton, which we covered. And Assassination Classroom, which was a combination of Joel McDonald and Afia Yu. Mm -hmm. So... Essentially, Maria was kind of, I think, just one of those shows that they genuinely just were like, okay, we have this and we're just going to dub it and we're going to put somebody on it because now we need more people. And they put Sunny Strait on there. And my broader point is this. From what I remember, a lot of people had a lot of flack for Maria's semi-dub when it was coming out. But we're reviewing what's probably the home video version. Which means that yeah. there are tweaks and stuff. And I actually really, really like the direction work on this show. I think the casting is really, really good. Especially for the beginning era of that subdub. A lot of the actors that we are now more accustomed to uh, had yet to be introduced. Or were about a season away from maybe gaining prominence. Um, when we get to a certain character, I'll bring up an actor who 
I think if this show came out a season or two later that I think he would have been this character based on uh, a lot of trends that had grown uh, from... Ah, yes. A lot I of trends... exactly who you're referring to. Yeah. A lot of trends that have grown out of simuldubs. And that's a weird thing to talk about in regards of Maria is I think a lot of people now would just be like, wow, this is a really like interesting cast. And it's like back when the show came out, uh, this is a cast that I think is just very like, okay, this is really on the nose for the season that it came out. And I think Sunny Strait did a really good job putting it together and directing it. And I think Caitlin Gloss, um, I can see a lot of her touches. Uh, one of them being that one of the characters does in fact sing a little bit yes. in one of the episodes. And at that point in time, if I feel like if somebody was on a show with any type of singing or background music, uh, that was a Caitlin Glass thing that she was brought in to help with. But to me, the real reason that Maria stands out as an adaptation is Patrick Seitz, specifically mostly Patrick Seitz. And a little bit of Christian Lamont's uh, script work. Because Christian wasn't as big of, a, of an influence or as presence Patrick in the writing in, as, as, as in Patrick Seitz's is. And if you followed our show for a really long time, back when we did the first dubbies, I gave Patrick Seitz my best writing award with the notation that Patrick Seitz deserves the dick joke Oscar. No, he deserves an, a dick-shaped Shaped Oscar. Oscar. That's what it was. <laughs> to, and to, to reiterate some of my uh, favorite lines... Uh, when it comes to Greek love, I'm useless. You need an incubus. You know me, but a man. We need to do something about that Achilles heel between your legs. Master, I'm having a hard time finding this one's hard time. <laughs> uh, my personal favorite line in the entire show is, My ass is the ruin of the English army and I'm freezing it off. Uh, who wants to climb the mountain? Uh, I'm a lover, not a fighter, and right now, you are neither. Uh, I could teach you a thing or two if I had the thing to teach. Uh, probably one of my favorite, like, just rants in the show. Uh, when Maria tells Priapus that he should have had his fill last night of sex. Who would I have filled? If I look down and see nothing this one more time, I'll go crazy. I need it, okay? I need a penis. <laughs> and uh, then Maria's just covering Anne's ears. Anne's ears or eyes. Uh, you take that maypole and all its meaty glory and put it on me right now. There's the maypole joke. <laughs> There's the maypole. My pleasure, and speaking of my pleasure, can we do something about my lack thereof? <laughs> Keep your a lot of the, A lot of those silly, raunchy jokes were Priapus and Artemis. It's or one of my other favorite ones, Keep Your Pants On. There's no point in taking them off right now. <laughs> it's, a, what a, it's a Priapus moment later on. Uh, Maria shoots a gun. Artemis, men have made their favorite act in the guise of a weapon. Um, oh my god. Just... There's a lot of really good ones, uh, but I think that the right, the adaptation writing of the show, as for as many like dicks and sex jokes as there are, the show has a lot of heart to it, and you have to be able as an adaptive writer to balance that, because uh, Maria deals a lot with religion and sex and war. Yeah. It is, it is like we make a lot of jokes about these sex jokes in the show. But this is a show that is very heavy talking about, I think, like, religious aspects. Which can turn a lot of people off if it's not handled very well. Mm -hmm. And I think that as a writing team, Patrick and Christian did that very well. And I think that Sonny did a good job as the director with them. Um, the casting is uh, very top-notch. I think it's a dub that nowadays, I don't think he would necessarily 100% find this casting combination anymore. 
Uh, so not as much, much honestly. Though grant, be- <laughs> granted, some of this conversa- combination end up in prison school. Won't lie about that. Yeah, like, but prison school was a dub. I think like two seasons later. No, it was a season later, I believe. No, because Maria was a winner. Yeah, and then wasn't prison school spring? Prison school was summer. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, because here's the thing. I remember remember a lot of the Double Talk lineup, and Prison School was one of the shows that was on Double Talk. Because the first lineup of Double Talk was Assassination Classroom, Death Parade, Tokyo Gore Day. The second lineup was uh, Assassination Classroom continuing, uh, Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and Sarah for the End. Right, that's what, that com- that's what that combination was. Yeah, and then it was... Because um, Prison School was on Double Talk, I forgot. Yeah, because then the summer combo was, I think, Gangsta, unfortunately, and unfortunately Sky Wizards Academy. Yes, that's what it was, okay. Fucking Sky was. Wizards, man. Oh, uh, and then the, the next combination was uh, AOT Junior High, uh, Arigoto, and uh, Battle of Nagoya, which was, it was the, the all sequels and spinoff season, but... That was the season that gave me her name is Horn, so I can't ever be mad at it. Yeah, that was great. The, the greatest. Anybody, if you ever ask me what is the greatest double talk moment of all time, it is Chad completely blue screening at learning Michaela Crantz's character. He just lost his fucking mind. It was and he loses his mind at Michaela Crantz's character's name and Sarah for the end, and it's kind of amazing. Yes, it's great. It's also the season that gave us whiskey and goldfish. Oh my god. When they got drunk for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I miss Double Talk. I miss Double Talk. <laughs> uh, anyway. It'd be kind of hard to bring it back now, though. <laughs> anyway, are you good? Yep, go ahead. Okay. So, directing and writing. I'm going to start with directing as well. It's... I, th- I think you are right. Like, for the time that this show was coming around and we had Simon Loves going on, because this was just before the broadcast up project really kicked in and we saw a lot more fresh faces coming into the pipeline i really enjoy the casting of the show i really enjoy the performances i do i think this is twofold with the script and directing i like the little nuances that they use not not just the sex jokes Mm -hmm. and the innuendos but i really like the language and the tone of the script as well as the direction that it took because while there are those mo- where well, there are well there are those comedic moments with the script because of the nature of the show uh, and its sexual undertones there is like you were saying that religious connotation in there as well that they have to be very careful with but also there is a time period and a national location kind of situation here as well mm-hmm. so I have to also I have to give credit to both writing and directing because they really stuck with that period of time and the locale because for example while there is no french accent they do use french phrases and sentences in the script um the only person with an accent is viv because she is an english witch which i think the accent was done rather well honestly and oh yeah i love viz uh, i love uh viv's i love accent. viv's accent I just then, wanna, I just wanna save it for talking about Viv. <laughs> I know, but I'm just bringing it up to make a point, though. And then the other part is, in the Japanese, there are some words and phrases that are used or used that don't seem to fit with that time period. 
And I actually really liked how the script on that end decides to rework it to make it fit that time period. The biggest example I can remember is um, in the Japanese, at the end of the series, the term boyfriend is used in the Japanese. Mm-hmm. However, in the English, that's changed to paramour. So small changes like that to make it fit within that time period as well as the locales where they are, I think the script is the script itself is very phenomenal for making those changes and doing so well with writing really, really old old medieval kind of joke sex jokes. It's great. And the casting is very it's for its time, it's not that diverse if you think about it for its time but at the same time there's a lot of great chemistry in the cast as well oh definitely that's one thing that's understated even Mm. though uh when they're dubbing anime they're obviously not in the same room unless they're all doing walla Mm. you can tell when like people are given the chance to really work off the other actors that's come before them no computer i do not want to restart it jesus christ (laughs) I mean, shut the fuck up, you stupid, useless thing. I mean, just to give a prime example, obviously, is Maria and Joseph. The two of them have mm-hmm. such great chemistry vocally, and it just works very, very well. I mean, more chemistry. I see Joseph and Galfa have good chemistry together. I see um, Priapus and Ezekiel actually have really good chemistry to me, I think. Um, oh, Priapus and Artemis do as well. They do, it's absolutely. Fucking great. So there's a lot of great moments and a lot of great vocal chemistry and it just i think it works rather seamlessly i'm very sad that this show seemingly went under the radar in all honesty because it is a good show oh definitely despite some of the changes from the manga itself um because the manga is actually yeah this yeah that's one of the things i also genuinely really enjoy was i actually did look up like a lot of the characters were added on and i feel like they were added on as a necessity to flesh out a lot of the series um because this series is really is very genuinely interesting Mm. um i do have one small minor complaint and that is if you're buying the home video version of the show um it is a no i apparently forgot about this issue because i hadn't actually broken open my copy of maria uh since i bought it at yomacon a couple years ago uh but uh a fight between galfa and Joseph, in one of my episodes, the audio completely cut out of it. <gasps> that did that happened to me too. Yeah, so to that me is too, the thing actually. that I, I the last episode, right? Uh, episode it was actually, uh, ten. So it was it was one of the last few episodes. Yeah, I it's, I think I, a ten I, or eleven. I, I, it's eleven or twelve because I, I think it's eleven. I, I think honestly it's eleven. Thought that was my DVD player being a pain in the ass. Okay. No, it was. It's the. It's the disc. Okay. Um, I don't know if it's on the DVD version. It was on the Blu-ray because I was watching via my my. Yeah, PS4 I was watching the Blu-ray version player. of it. I'd have to check the DVD. Uh, but that being said, like, I'm gonna, uh, like, honestly, like, you should still buy the set because it's really, it's actually really nice. It's probably one of my favorite uh, sets that they put together, mm-hmm. even for a not limited edition. Yeah. Like, uh, if you, if you, I still have my slipcover to Maria. I do too. And the slipcover feels like parchment paper. Yeah, it really and that's does. really fucking cool. It's a nice little touch to it. Yeah, like that's it's it's up there with like ninety one days as one of my favorite like covers that they've used on anything because the ninety one days Ellie, which is another show I still haven't finished. We need to fix that. Um, I still need to learn what the fucking lasagna thing is. Yeah. Um, I got like four episodes in with it with my mom and I just haven't Corteo finished it. Corteo is days, best but... boy. Pour one out for Corteo. <laughs> Corteo. 
Cortez. Oh my god. So my favorite thing is I was talking to Brandon McGinnis like around this time last oh year. God, and okay. he actually, speaking of double talk, speaking of double talk, uh, apparently one of his like favorite things in the world is uh, Lauren's description of what happens to Corteo. Because apparently um, <laughs> Lauren's description of Corteo is he done lost his Skittles. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, that's the best shit Yay! ever. <laughs> Corteo done lost his Skittles. So is so did Bernard. <laughs> Bernard, Bernard done lost, lost his, his Skittles. His Skittles. <laughs> oh god. Bernard done lost his skills. Speaking of, no, we're not even at Bernard yet. We're way we we have a ways to go before we even get to Bernard. Um, do we think we're good to start talking about characters? Oh yeah. Yeah, let's just start talking characters. Bottom line, the direction and writing is fantastic, and this show is very underrated, and you should go watch it either way. Anyway. Characters. So, God, I actually had to change the order a little bit because we added one. Um, But we're going to start with a couple of individuals that live in the village near where Maria's hut is, um, who are very supportive of her and they adore her. Uh, So we're going to talk about Martha, an old lady, an old old woman who's, I, I think she's nearly blind by the looks of it. Um, and she's, she's been a good friend to Maria for several years, and Maria makes these, uh, medical, uh, these medical herbs and concoctions to help keep Martha's health, uh, in good spirits. And we're also going to talk about Martha's granddaughter, Anne, the precocious little Anne, who, lo and behold, um, we, we don't really find out until the end of the, of the last second after the show is done, but, uh, there is a narrator that comes in telling the brief beginning story we find that out at the end it is Anne but we're not despite Julie Erickson being a phenomenal actress we're not going to discuss uh Julie Erickson's performance because it really is just one thing on on repeat (laughs) the entire time um but the individuals we're going to be talking about as Martha that is voiced by Miss Linda Leonard who has been in series just as such as Konohana Keaton Psycho Pass and Shonen Maid and as the precocious little Anne, we have Laura Woodhall, who has been in series such as Barakamon, Overlord, and Princess Jellyfish. Uh. Clara, I'm freaking dying over I'm here! Dying over here! <laughs> Megan, how do you feel about Linda and Anne's performance? Uh, Linda and Laura, wow, her their performances. I'm about to make a really, really bad joke. Oh no. Maria, my grandma's freaking dying over here! <coughs> I should not have taken a sip of my coffee on that one. Damn it. Ah, <laughs> uh, burning up your nostrils. No, I mean, Maria my, my, has coffee's a cure not, for that. my coffee's not that hot anymore. It's, like, lukewarm now. It's lukewarm. Anyway. Uh, no. Uh, so, Linda Leonard as, uh, Maria's grandma- Maria's grandma. Martha. Anne's grandma. Martha, fuck. Her name is Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. Um- <laughs> She was she was a really nice old lady voice. I think that she really fit into the show. Um, her Mar- Martha and Anne do show up, but I think that they don't need to be overstay their welcome as performances. Mm-hmm. They are, while a core part to the show, they are not like a huge like they're not like big reoccurring characters like Priapus, Artemis, Joseph, mm-hmm. Galfa, Bernard. Um, I think that Martha, Linda's performance as Martha, really does sell the emotionality towards the latter half of the show, mm-hmm. where Martha does have to to cast out Maria, who is her oldest friend, um, and I think that she really 
was helping to drive that dagger into your heart around episode 7 or 8. And then it plays off very well of Laura Woodhall's Anne, who is adorable and precocious and the child voice that really needs to stand out. And the thing I like about Anne's, uh, Anne's voice and Laura's performance of it is that it needs to me uh, stand in stark contrast of Ezekiel, who Anne is a child. Anne and Ezekiel are both ch- children characters to me. Ezekiel has the body of a child. Yes. Um, but Ezekiel has a very adult, mature voice where Anne still has that childish playfulness, that curiousness, and that ability to question the world, which really does juxtapose to um, Ezekiel's growth as a character. Ezekiel is a character that comes in with a very steadfast view of how they view society and the world of Maria, and has that uh, decay over the course of the series until they can become reborn as a new person. Which... There's a spoiler alert on this episode for a fucking reason. We, we do um, spoil alerts all the time. Let's face it. Yeah, there's a reason it's a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, at the end, Ezekiel does officially go to Maria's side um, and cast it is becomes a fallen angel from heaven. However, they are given the choice to pick their uh, mother, be born to pick their mother. And they obviously picked Maria. Mm-hmm. Um, to which in the end, Maria does lose her powers, I guess. Though they they don't make it clear because they're like heaven doesn't have any problem with you anymore, and then they kind of bring up that she would still lose her power when Ezekiel comes, and I'm like, that that's stupid. Heaven doesn't have any powers with her anymore. She's not going to use them anymore. Like, and at the end, like obviously they move back into town, and Artemis and Priapus are still there as their owl familiars. So it's just really well, that's like the one well, issue I have. Maybe, but they don't say anything. Yeah, they don't say anything, and it's really unclear, so. Um, but, again, Laura's performance as Anne needs to really not sound similar at all to Ezekiel's actress. Ezekiel was played by a woman. Um, it needs to sound childish, and Laura Woodhull's really good at playing children for a reason. Um, so I, I think both performances are great, especially Laura Woodhull's. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm gonna agree on all fronts with that, because, um, the main purpose for, I I feel, the main purpose for Martha Ann and Joseph, when we talk about him, the main purpose of those three characters, in Joseph's case, not just being the love interest, they are the side that doesn't condemn witches. You know what I mean? Because... Yeah. You're talking about, you, you have a setting and a time period where witches and witchcraft are heresy. They're deemed as heresy in the eyes of the church. You are going to, going to, going to go to hell. All this fun stuff. And you're, you're also condemned if you fraternize with a witch. You know what I mean? And yeah, this, this side with Martha, Anne, and Joseph, they show the actual they help fight and show the actual good that maria is to other people and try to help with the misconception and kind of break the mold in terms of the think the way of thinking that that they usually follow in the church so in the case of martha and anne specifically though i think this is probably the strongest mostly because again joseph is more of a love interest type of role rather than just this defensive side for Maria and Martha I, I love Linda Leonard as Martha she's 
she is such a kind and gentle soul, Martha is, and Linda just brings that up beautifully. And the turmoil that she has to go through when she has to cast out her old friend, it's just so painful to watch. Because you can feel like, mm -hmm. cause, because she's been so trusting of Maria, and they've known each other for so long, and she knows the good Maria actually has within her, it just, it just hurts you so much. And then you have Laura as Anne, which children may be impressionable, they're also very innocent and very curious. Anne is a child, an atypical child, who asks those questions. And like, wait, why are we being mean to Maria? She's helped my grandmother. She seems very nice. Like, is she really a bad person? Like, and Laura, I think, portrays that side very well. It's, it's interesting to have a younger a young child's point of view on this kind of thing as well as an older woman to kind of counteract mm -hmm. those sides and then we also have joseph who's the young adult and uh, the young adult or the teen in this case so you have like a different generation age gaps kind of seeing the same situation and different viewpoints and i think that's very interesting and an interesting dynamic to have in the show um but for Linda and Laura, I do enjoy the performances very, very well, especially bringing out that defensive side and that questioning attitude. Like, why, why are we being, why, why are we really condemning her? Is she really all that bad? She's done so much for us. Like, I don't understand. Um, and it's, and it's makes, I just think it makes the nature and the context of the story and the themes with it much more complex with having Martha and Anne in here questioning those uh, morals and ethics and the religion itself, you know what I mean? Um, we good to move on? Yes. Okay. The next two characters. We're going to talk about some more witches. Huzzah! So, we are going to be discussing Viv, the English witch who, uh, she's not officially part of the Witches Guild for that area, I don't believe. Um, but... She, she's an English witch who is, who takes part in trying to make money off of the English and French conflict. Um, but she does help Maria out, uh, in various ways and she tries to understand Maria more and more. And then we have Edwina. Edwina is a... Edwina is best girl! <laughs> Edwina is best. No. I love Edwina! Edwina's my favorite character Edwina, in the show. Edwina, I say, is second best girl. Best girl is Artemis. Okay, Edwina's second best girl, but she's my favorite witch in the show. Best girl is Artemis. <laughs> like, hands down. Um, but Edwina, she's a recluse witch. She's She doesn't like going outside and dealing with conflict, and she just hides away because she is actually very terrified of the church. Um, but she does... But she's very well known throughout the throughout the country for brewing these very good concoctions with healing properties and med medicinal herbs and all this kind of stuff that she uses her uh, familiar to help deliver to to various people, including the church without Gilbert's fucking knowing, which was the greatest thing in the world. My favorite thing was, like, uh, Gilbert's little lackey. Um, like... Yeah, he may be in the church, but he totally had a boner for Edwina's familiar. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Granted, granted, this is a show that does not shy away from talking about the church's hypocrisy when it comes to sex at no. all in that time period. I mean, like that is one of my favorite parts of the show is very early on when Artemis uh, is uh, Artemis's job is usually to go through and uh, fuck the entire army. Yes. And she comes into a tent, and there's just two dudes like. This guy is going to Popsicle Town. Uh, he's about to get a creamsicle, if you know what I'm saying. And she's like, alright, well, uh, let's get it on. And he's like, no, this daughter of Lilith will not taint our pure love. Yep. And he's like, clearly hugging on to like what looks like an underage boy. Yep. And that's how we suddenly get Priapus to deal with situations Fist. like this. Situations <laughs> like this. Yep. Uh, Surprise, motherfucker! That's why he looks like a little twink. Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. Well, there's a fun story with that that's not in the um, actual show, but we'll, when we get to um, Artemis and Priapus, re remind me about it, and I'll let you know what's going on with that one. Um, okay. So the the actresses who are portraying Viv and Edwina, as Viv, we have Colleen Clinkenbeard, who has been in series such as Drifters, One Piece, and Wolf Children. As Edwina, we have Trina Nishimura, who has been in series such as Attack on Titan, Blood Blockade, Battlefront, and The Rolling Girls. Megan, how do you feel about Colleen and Trina's performances? I love Colleen and Trina as Ed uh, Viv and Edwina. Like, uh, I'll do Edwina first because she's not in the show as much. I about lost it when I realized it was Trina Nishimura. Uh, because it's really hard to tell who Edwina is until she starts, like, really showing up in the last part of the show. And for me, this is a character, like, especially when uh, this show comes right. out originally, um, there is a, there is one very particular show that Trina Nishimura is really known for. It's a little independent project you might know as Attack on Titan, yep. where she is Mikasa, or Mikasa, or Sukasa, whatever. Su Mikasa is Sukasa. It's a Sukasa. <laughs> She wishes that Aaron would put his Sukaka into her Mikasa, if you know what I'm saying. Oh my god. The sex jokes are running rampant tonight, boys and girls. I've I've got Maypole Madness. <laughs> I'm gonna need more coffee. I've got meaty Maypole Madness. Nice. Um, I'm gonna need more coffee. But <laughs> Steph, just plug this coffee into my fucking eyeballs. <laughs> um, I still have Calm down, Godot! <laughs> Calm down, Godot! Just slide the What the hell? What the hell was that? I just slid my coffee. Jesus Christ <laughs> almighty. Did your coffee turn you into Gritty the Last Witch? <laughs> like, is that a... This like, is, is that a Gritty... This is a good idea or a bad idea drinking coffee. I'm two cups in. I need, I'm done with my second cup and I still have more. Shit. All I know, all I know is this. Like, is that mm -hmm. a Gritty also has a fire crotch. Oh, God. <laughs> You're welcome, Hardy. You're, it's like you're welcome, guys. Welcome. No, 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 no. Why no, are you so saying? Anyway, wait, hold on. Why are you saying you welcome to Hardy when Andrew was the motherfucker who made the joke originally? Oh no! In my server, Andrew uh, Hardy was the one who said uh, Gritty has a fire crotch. Okay, about to say because Andrew made the f stupid joke, and you were just like, "Don't applaud yourself, you idiot." <laughs> It's been almost like two years since he's done that too. It has. <laughs> it's been a time flies. Anyway, so back to things that also fly: Edwina and Viv. Yay. Um, but Trina, for 
very much that that portion of I think um, a lot of people's consciousness is uh, Mikasa, who is very stoic, very behind uh, her emotions, doesn't show them unless she's angry. And then there's Edwina, who is a shut-in, who is very timid and doesn't really want to do anything. But man, does Trina nail introvert forced to be extrovert uh, very well. It's in her voice. You can hear her exasperation when she's got to deal with shit now. That she's she Her guilt in her voice that she's caused a lot of... Because here's another thing, too, uh, about Edwina. Is that because she sells her medicines to the church... Um, she accidentally is inadvertently the cause of Maria to almost get raped. Yeah. Without and that is knowing. something that is without her knowing. And that is something that she has to deal with. And they, this is a show, by the way, that I would like to actually talk about because I knew I was talking about the show and a lot of people who follow me on Twitter know I gave Goblin Slayer a lot of shit for its rape scene, which by the way is awful and is done awfully. And like, uh, Arcada did a really great video on Goblin yes. Slayer, actually, and so did uh, Mother's Basement. They both did really fantastic videos that I think get a lot of my like sensibility in there. It's um, and I really want to borrow Ark's argument for this, is that uh the rape scene in Maria is actually used as a turning point to 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 really shake things up about established characters. Uh, it one shows how much of an awful human being Galfa is. It also uses it to... Change um, the tone in the story. Make... Sorry. It also makes Edwina have to come out more, and it also changes a lot of mm -hmm. other characters, and obviously, Galfa doesn't succeed. You never see, like, any actual, like, clothes come off. Like, it is played completely for horror. Yes. And terror. So, like... And then, oh there's boy, no when Joseph service. finds out, oh boy! Boy... And there's, like, no fanservice-y aspect to it. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, uh, but Edwina also is probably one of my favorite moments. And that is when um, she's pissed off. And Trina Nishimura has one of, like, it's also a thing that, like, I think, like, of all things, Edwina doesn't look like a teenager, but she kind of has a bratty teenage voice in that moment, which is really funny to hear out of an adult. And it's it's also one of my favorite things in the Golden Kamui dub for Brandon McGinnis's character. Oh my god! Um, Speaking of Golden Kamui, um, what the fuck? Wait, Golden Kamui is an excuse to watch Bara porn. Uh, it's an excuse to get you all addicted to Bara. Um, but uh, no, it's uh, she lands and she goes, "I didn't want to even come out here today, but no, you had to get yourself captured." Yeah. Like, that voice. And the reason I'm bringing up Golden Kamui is, uh, Brandon McGinnis gets one of those moments as Edogai, and it's when, uh, Surumi finds his little taxidermy family. Um, yep. and, uh, Brandon's mom's character is, like, giving him shit, and then there's just Brandon McGinnis in a mask made out of people's, like, skin and fingers going, but mom, he likes my stuff! <laughs> um, and uh, it fucking destroyed I'm me. I'm so sad that but Brandon McKinnon's character doesn't stay. <laughs> He's so weird and uh, great! My favorite thing uh, over the holiday season was apparently there was a guy who dressed up in a bear suit and ransacked a bunch of people's tents on Black Friday. And Funimation just put a tweet of Edogai running in a bear costume that just says, RUN EDOGAI RUN! What? Uh, yeah, that was a thing and it fucking destroyed <laughs> That's me. amazing. Um, but moving on to Viv, oh my god, I could not like, I could kind of tell it was Colleen after a while, but Colleen's accent was top-notch as Viv. Mm -hmm. 
she brought so much energy and life to this character who is just has to play off Maria who has a lot of energy and life into her as a character and it's so fun to hear her have the accent too because none of the other witches have an accent yeah and that's the one thing about accent work that's really hard um when done badly it can kill a show when done well it brings a lot of flavor life and um texture for a show which is really weird to talk about something that you can't put in your mouth um, but comes out of people's yes. mouths. And, uh, one of the things I really do appreciate is that she is the only character that has a distinct accent in the yep. show. Um, you can argue that Galfa's little girlfriend has a little bit of one, but not as prominent as Bibbs. And the thing I very much like about that is that I'm happy they didn't make Viv the neutral accent character, because I'm going to be like, I'm going to say this. F fake French accents done badly would have tanked this fucking Absolutely. shit. So, in Person pers this is personally, personally, because like of that, I'm glad they didn't go with actual, like, accents for the French. They stuck with English, Viv. but they also went with, like, the French phrases, like I was they saying before. I feel like that's a better route for yeah, the show. They yeah, the, the best... The best companion to, I think, this would be the gar the way that Caitlyn treats Garo with Spanish in the first Garo season. Yes. Uh, which is, which of course, she obviously was uh, co-directing this. And I think she was working on Garo right around the same time. I mean, it's possible because I think Gar the this one came out. No, she was working on Garo beforehand because we saw the premiere of Garo in Boston that year. The that same year, yep. yeah. So. Which is weird, because when we talk about the, the, the thing I'm going to talk about with another character, I have to bring that up. But no, uh, Colleen rocked it, and this is around the... I don't think Colleen was necessarily a huge fixture in anything else that season as a character. I know she was directing Yona. She was directing Yona with and Cliff. Rolling Girls. She was and doing girls. two directing jobs at the time. But I don't remember her being a big named character in a mm -hmm. show. I don't think she was So either. Viv was kind of the Viv was kind of the big the big one. So And I, I like when Colleen gets to play those those types of characters. Uh though Viv's uh, spiritual successor daughter is apparently alive and well and radiant. Uh because if you've if you've never seen a picture of Viv, her hair, holy shit. Um <laughs> Which is funny because ah fuck I can't say that because my boyfriend really wants to do an episode of Radiant, so <laughs> Whoops there's a character- I can't say what character- I can say what char it's the girl character with all the big, like, coronet hairs, but I'm not saying who plays her, so. But, yeah, no, I loved him. I love them both. They're, they're two very standout performances, and, um, go ahead. Neato. Um, I'm gonna start with Edwina as well. Um, I really- I do enjoy Trina's performance as Edwina because she has- she plays the hermit, the very strong hermit recluse very well. Because, I mean, we, I mean, the description says that, the description I gave earlier said that, like, Maria leads a recluse existence. Edwina lives a hermit's existence, <laughs> like, to the extreme. So, it's very, it's very nice to see, Ed, see Trina portray Edwina with social, not social anxiety, but, um, lack of social skills. 
because you remember there were a couple times where the other witches in the guild just visit and stay there for a few days. She's like, are you guys gonna leave? Like, are you really gonna stay here? Yeah, why are you motherfuckers still yep. here? And I love how that's portrayed. And then like you were saying, I do enjoy when the switch is flipped and we all of a sudden, Edwina's like, don't make me do this. Don't make me like put myself out there. I'm terrified of the church like finding me and killing me. Um, which is at that time, of course, the during that time period, the fear of like all witches. Like you don't want to get caught by the yeah. church. You don't want to be tried by the Inquisition. You don't want to be burned at the stake or anything else like that. So Edwina has those realistic fears compared to the other witches, which makes a great and different like story and context and side plot for what's not, not not what i'm saying a different point of view for how witches are perceived at that time compared to like viv and maria and all the other witches in the guild um where she just doesn't want to be found out she doesn't want she, she'd rather live in hiding than just go out there and when edwina does decide to rescue maria when she's arrested um and saves her from burning at the stake. It's a very interesting flip where all of a sudden she just has this nervous courage, is what I'm gonna call it. Because you can hear it in the tone of voice that she's still kind of nervous about doing this. She's still unsure about it, but she's just gonna buck up and do it. And I appreciate Trina's performance on that. Uh, as for Colleen, I'm going to attempt to talk about Colleen with an English accent. As the best as see, I see, I don't do accents anymore because I embarrass myself. See, <laughs> see, look, when I was in college, I did a production for of a Sherlock Holmes play, so I am used to doing English accents on that one. There was very, very long time ago. Um, what did my notes say about Colleen? Colleen has a proper tone and fun accent, but is also a very dirty girl. <laughs> Cause <laughs> you're just giggling in the background. Um, because Colleen's character of Viv, Viv is one of the more mature mature witches, and she just <laughs> she's similar to Artemis. And there's an early scene with, with Viv and Maria together, where <laughs> Viv is like, "Oh, if that's really your problem. We should get that fixed right quick, shouldn't we?" <laughs> I should drop the accent now. Sorry. I lasted for a minute. I couldn't keep it up anymore because I'm going to start laughing now. But, um, no, when Viv comes in and she's just like, oh, really? You're a virgin? Really? We're going to fix that right the hell now. Like, it's, <laughs> she's a very mature person and is compared to, with her dynamic with Maria, Viv is very mature. She's, she's very okay with herself, with her body and her sexuality. Uh, similar to Artemis. Uh, she actually fucking hits on Artemis at one point, too, in that same scene. Um, but... Hell yeah, bitch! Yeah, motherfucker. And, um... Hell yeah, bisexual power! <laughs> bisexual power! But yeah, it's... I like that... Colleen is able to portray that maturity very well. And she's also... Kind of a... <coughs> kind of like a counterbalance to Maria. With everything going on. Because originally, Viv comes in to stand up for herself and the guild against Mar what Maria's been doing because they're not making money off of Maria just stopping everything. But yeah. as the show progresses, Viv 
does see Maria's intention and what she's trying to do. And she also becomes very good friends with her and is willing to protect her ideals for Maria. Because if, if Maria, Maria is standing up against the church and all that she stands for, and Viv, I can tell that she really likes that a lot. Like, wow, she's standing up to the church. It even gets to the point where when Maria is captured and Viv is trying to save her, she is brave enough to go against uh, up against Michael too. So it's very interesting to see that character progression for Viv and for Colleen to portray that. And, of course, the accent is very, very lovely, darling. Brilliant, brilliant accent. Um, and especially as one of the, as the only character with some kind of accent, it's very consistent. I do appreciate that a lot because it, accent work is very tricky, like you were saying. One false move and all of a sudden your show is just absolute garbage because of accent work. But definitely Colleen and Edwina are phenomenal phenomenal performances and i enjoyed them a lot all right so we're ready to move on to our next characters yes <laughs> this is gonna be fun you ready to talk about the church take me to church no, no. <laughs> take me to church. unfortunately let's talk about let's talk about suppressing your catholicism <laughs> all right and bees Bees! Bees! On a scale of one to Bernard, how salty are you? Yuichiro Hiyakia. <laughs> Alright, so we're going to talk about three individuals that are basically on the church's side. Though one of them is, um, kind of... They're a little beyond the, uh, a little beyond the, uh, on the church's side part. Fuck, oh, come on, computer, don't turn off. Okay, go ahead. Uh, so we're going to be discussing uh, Bernard, one of the friars of the church uh, in in the country. Uh, he's... So are they Catholics or Jesuits? I have no idea. I would assume Catholics. Um, but Bernard, he's a well-known friar, and he's loved, beloved by a lot of people. Um, and a dick. <laughs> and at first, at first... Bernard is trying to get Maria to ask for forgiveness because he he it's believed that converting a witch's soul to to God is like that's like the goal of a everyone miracle. basically like that's just like hell yeah you are the greatest person in the world you are a true follower of God this whole bullshit it's not that I it's 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 less Bernard wants to 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 do it because hey I'm doing a good thing in my book it's hey if I convert her to my side the people of the town will love and follow me and go into war yeah, basically um because his uncle the is Count the, uh, yep. who I are we I don't think we're talking no. about him but he's played by like I think Barry he's uh, Andel. Barry it's Barry Andel. Andel. no we're not yeah. gonna talk about him today um but but slowly as the show progresses, he goes from a calm figure to subtly angry and wants to take Maria down to, wait, is this really the will of God? Like, one conversation with Maria I wanna is, fuck that uh, witch. Uh, when, we get, when we talk about Ber the performance we got from Bernard, oh boy. Uh, we also have Gilbert, who is another friar for the church. Um... Bernard's lackey, but eventually over... Friar Twink! <laughs> but eventually over time, though, Gilbert starts to establish himself more and more. But he stays very steadfast in his beliefs throughout the course of the show. Um, he ends up being partway through made in the um, magistrate and part of the Inquisition against Maria. 
And then we have Archangel Michael, one of an auto-tuned robot. Auto-tuned robot. <laughs> God, who an who um robot. who is an, an asshole. Um, who sees Maria's meddling as something against the will of God, and then with God's guidance, he's like, okay. Bitch, if you lose your virginity, you are losing your magic. Bitch, you better not <laughs> involve yourself in these fights again. But I better not see you or you're dead. Um, so that's basically Archangel Michael in a nutshell. The individuals voicing these three characters. I'm going to start with Archangel, Archangel Michael and say Bernard Velasquez. because Bernard is very amusing. Archangel Michael is voiced by Miss Caitlin Glass, who's been in series such as Diagon Rampa, the animation, as well as the end of Hope's Peak Academy, uh, New Game, and Show by Rock. As Gilbert, we have Joel McDonald. We haven't talked about Joel in a while, actually. Uh, sad face. I'm excited because I... One of the shows that we're covering next year, we get to talk about Joel McDonald's character a lot! Woo! Um... And we get to talk about him as a director! Yay! And uh, you, you've probably heard Joel's, Joel in various series such as The Ancient Magus Bride, Fairy Tale, of course, and My Hero Academia. Is it bad I forgot who Joel McDonald was for a split <laughs> second in Ancient Magus Bride and then remembered, oh yeah, that's right, you're like my favorite character. Surprise! You're like one of my favorite characters. And then, Have blood. Bernard. <laughs> Ah, it's Sunny Strait, who has been in series such as Drifters, Fullman Alchemist, and Soul Eater. Megan, how do you feel about these performances? So let's start with uh, Joel McDonald as the uh, the uh, angstiest little twink. Um, sorry, he's just so small. Yes. Um, honestly, like his what's his name again? Gilbert. Uh, Gilbert. Uh, Gilbert's really weird because I thought he was, like, a background character for the longest time because he looks like one of the these, like, random little friar servants. Yeah. Up until he finally gets, uh, he gets some modicum of power and, uh, and, uh, stuff. And I think he's made into the, um, Inquisitor because he actually, like, somehow saw the Archangel Michael descend into a town or some shit like that. Um, but Joel McDonald, uh, Joel McDonald's weird in that Joel McDonald is a little chameleon. Yes. And that he can play, he can be something like Oberion in, in Mega's Bride, which is just a, a ball of fun. Uh, to characters like Zareph from Fairy Tale, who's very reserved and God is still one of the most attractive Fairy Tale characters. And then, I mean, I know um, I didn't bring this up, but also, um, Bacchano. Bacchano? Yeah, ba he was in Bacchano. He's, um, not niece. He's, um. Oh, yeah, he's Jacuzzi. Thank you, Jacuzzi. Yeah, Jacuzzi. Jacuzzi's also a ball of fun. Uh, this is very much, I think, in the range of um, the Jacuzzi Maihara. Mm -hmm. If anybody's ever seen um, another show that Joel directed and we brought it up earlier is Assassination Classroom. Yes. Uh, his character in uh, Assassination Classroom is, I believe it's Maihara. Um, I think he's Maihara. Or is that Jerry's character? There's a lot of kids. No, I All think, he knows is, I know, uh, Jerry is Izuyoi, I think. Hold, hold on, we're gonna resolve this. A and N, let's go. <laughs> no, because I remember, I remember Jerry's character is the poor one. Yes. Chris Burnett's his best friend. Yep. His girlfriend's uh, Kautaka, which is uh, Morgan Garrett. The thing I remember about Joel's character is that Joel's character is the one that likes um, video editing and directing, which is kind of funny. Mimora, Mimora, Mimora. Because I remember Myhar is one of the other kids, and I forget who Myhar is. I, I want to say that's, that's Jerry. Myhar, Myhar is Chris Burnett. 
That's why. Of course, I remember the Chris Burnett character. And then Jerry is Isogai. Isogai, that's right. There we go. Now we figured it out. <laughs> Assassin's Classroom is a show where, like, I know half the characters, and then it's, like, Token Rambu, and everybody else is just a character name. Yes. <laughs> it's very true. Which is funny when we're talking about somebody later in the show. Um, but... Gilbert is very much in that Mimura, the Mimura, somewhere between Mimura and Jacuzzi in the tone. Um, I think that he gets across being kind of this, like, lackey young boy character, which is really great, but he's still very much um, in his faith, and he isn't rocked until he learns that um, Edwina's cat is his little, uh, his little, uh, his little source. To which, by the way, Edwina's cat is played by Bryn April. Um, surprise! Surprise! And she has, like, the second most stripperific outfit in the show. Um, second to for Artemis. The, <laughs> second to Artemis. Like, even Priapus' outfit makes a little more sense. Um, so, I really, I did genuinely enjoy it. Um, it is, I wish that Gilbert showed up a little more. Uh, Gilbert's also a character who I, I naturally could not tell you who played him. Which is very strange, which... It's really weird because that's most Joel McDonald characters to me. We're like, except for Oberion and Jacuzzi, I cannot name you a, a Joel McConnell character off the top of my head. Or if you sat me down and watched the show, I could not tell you where Joel McDonald is. Zeref's the other exception. Zeref's the other exception because he's... Because who Zeref is related to and who he plays off of as a villain, it's such a strong, like departure from that other actor even though those characters are siblings i just don't want to spoil who it is for people who don't know yet um and then uh caitlin is michael is very strange because they put a huge effect over michael's voice which is why i call michael the auto-tuned doll uh and this year you only thought we were going to talk about automated memory dolls da -da -da -da. <laughs> um Eat shit, eat shit, Violet, eat shit, Violet, Marie, uh, Michael was here first. Um, but one of the things that I, it is genuinely otherworldly, which is something I want to give the, the mixing team a lot of credit for. Michael sounds completely unnatural and it's fantastic. And for a show like this, you need it because Michael looks robotic. Michael looks like a doll. Michael's mouth doesn't move, guys. Yeah. Michael does not have flaps. And it's kind of creepy. No, Michael and has flaps. Are you sure? I didn't remember Michael having flaps. I do. Or if Michael has them, they're very, very, they're very like, minimal. minimal flaps. Um, So Michael's voice needs to sound like it's not of this world. And even among... Even among otherworldly things, Michael needed to have that extra level added to it. Because here's one of the other things that's in Maria that we haven't talked about yet. Mm -hmm. um, Ezekiel does not have this filter on their voice. They have the body of a human, therefore they talk about that. There are Valkyries. And they are they are portrayed in the same outlined, like weird filter color as Michael. Right. And I think and I think the most prominent one is Monica. Correct. Um, you hear Monica more than any of us. Anyway, here's the thing. The Valkyries don't have that effect on their voices. I like that they went the extra mile to do this to Michael. Unfortunately, it's been a really long time since I watched the sub version of Maria. Mm -hmm. And I didn't get the time to, to do it before this. Like I said, we thought we were doing this one day. Got pushed back and I worked the other three days between. 
Um, we have actual jobs, guys. We're um, adults. Adults. This is a side. This is a thing we do for on the side. Um, with our actual jobs. Aha. One of the thing. Uh, so this is the thing about Caitlin's performance. Caitlin's performance is not monotone. Mm-hmm. It is made to be monotone in After Effect to me. Caitlin does have to pull back her her voice because if if you've watched a lot of stuff with Caitlin in it. Uh, Caitlin has a very spunky, energetic voice for a lot of things. Um, best example, as as we're talking about this and it's airing, uh, she is she's playing Saki in Zombieland Saga fabulously. Yes, it is such a fun performance. Um, but she and she's also another character in the show that we're not talking about. Um, and if you've obviously watched things around like um, Winry from FMA, um, back to back to what I was saying about Michael and stuff. Yes. Uh, no, so I really liked Caitlyn as this, and I really would like to see Caitlyn do another role very similar to Michael. Uh, and then, Sunny Street is Bernard. Sunny Street is just... Man, like, it is really strange. Like, Sunny Street to me... Bernard... Sunny Street's Bernard to me is very, like, something I wasn't used to hearing Sunny Street be at that time. Mm -hmm. And even when I was watching it uh, a couple years later, it was still very much something I appreciated it. It, It's... When we get to another actor, I'll say it because, um... Yeah, I don't want to ruin that thing because I want to say something about this actor, but I... It reminds because Sunny Street does a lot of things. Sunny Street can be stuff like Krillin and DBZ, like Mo and Ace Attorney, which we talked about. Um, I'm trying to think of another role that's similar to Bernard that Sunny played. Uh, to an extent, Escaflone actually. To an extent, who? Es- the his role in Escaflone. I haven't seen Escaflone yet. Well, yeah. It- Okay, I forgot you haven't I'm seen watching it. it yeah, it is, it, it is honestly pretty similar. I forget the fucking guy's name. I've not watched Escaflone yet, guys. I'm watching it next year, so sh- Um, it did remind me a bit of Evil Maze Hughes. <laughs> Just a little bit. And I, I really like the subtlety to his performance. Um, this is a show that has a lot of very over-the-top reactions at points. Mm-hmm. Like, with uh, Viv and a little bit of Edwina... Um, a little bit of, um, definitely Maria and Artemis at times. Yes. So, Sonny's descent into madness, being as understated as it is, really speaks to not only himself as a director, but as an actor. That he, he took, he had the presence of mind to genuinely uh, not be crazy and over the top until he needed it to be. Yeah. Because I feel like Bernard as a character has to walk that very fine line of being very warm and very welcoming, but it's a face he's putting on to the public. Because it's it's the weird thing that I think a lot of people don't recognize when they're watching uh, anime or they're uh, reading, is that you as a viewer are sometimes given an omnipresent view of the world. Um, I think I brought this up a little bit in Akka. How um, Ak is a show that puts doesn't give you that whole like story, and you have to un- uh, un- unfold with it with Ginotis. Uh, yeah, but Maria is very much an opposite, where you are shown kind of all the sides of things, and one of those things that you were shown is that Bernard is also very um, that he is very two faced, and that those two faces are 
very much one in the same face, but people can't tell that he's doing it except for really, I think, Maria. I think Maria's up to his game. Maria, oh, and then eventually of... Gilbert realizes it too. This is this too when I mean Gilbert kind of... yeah because for an example here like the medicine that Gilbert is usually sent to retrieve from basically Edwina's familiar and he and then he learns that it was like a witch who made the concoctions and then when he went to Gilbert Gilbert is like yeah I knew all along like your point <laughs> yeah which again also shows how much of a hypocrite Bernard is yeah. because he he condemns Maria for doing this but yet he is. Um, doing it for his own gain, and I think Sonny really does that. And it is it is very it is very satisfying to watch Sonny go boom at the very <laughs> when because he, he decides to give the Archangel Michael a hug. And no, he did not go, give the don't... Archangel Michael a hug. He tried choking him. Oh, that's oh. He tried choking him. Okay. That this world. And he was My like, apologies. I thought I thought he was giving her a hug. No, <laughs> he was like, "This world doesn't need you anymore," and he tried choking or... him. Okay, you're not Joseph. Calm down. Um, <laughs> but I think I think Bernard really does. Sunny really does nail Bernard, and I've been talking a lot. So Steph, go ahead while I take this quiz. Cool. Uh, let's see. Oh, I don't even know where to start. I'm gonna. St I'm also gonna start with Gilbert. I actually don't really have a lot. Oh, I do have notes for Gilbert. Um, with Gilbert, his convictions and his and his ideals are on on this side, on the church's side, are very consistent. And stay consistent throughout the entire show. But, so he has a strong sense of his beliefs and his faith. But the other part with Gilbert's character, at least at the beginning, he's very, very, he's very loyal to Bernard. And he shares, the, he's, he's, he's like, Bernard is a very, very strong, faithful person. Uh, I did it again and got Natsuki, so I'm okay with this. <laughs> And, um, now I'm losing my train of thought, damn it. Uh, Gilbert follows Bernard's ideals, or at least he thinks he does. And as soon as Gilbert is given a position of power, and as soon as he starts seeing the true side of Bernard, Gilbert all of a sudden is like, this person that I've looked up to this whole time is actually, like, a hypocrite. And borderline heretic you know, to some extent and Gilbert Gilbert is very interesting and I think Joel portrays that storyline for Gilbert very well going from a loyal a loyal servant to both God as well as Bernard and a follower of his ideals and morals but also developing into his own taking his own position of power and realizing Realizing that even strong-minded people like Bernard can crumble by the wayside and be easily influenced, which is very interesting. Um, Michael, Michael, <sighs> Michael is one of the weird ones because of all of the After Effects stuff thrown into there for Caitlin's performance. Um, so personally, I find it a little bit difficult at times to listen to because of it. However, because because Michael is an archangel and is this omnipotent being, it makes sense to go the route that they did. And I'm not knocking Caitlyn's performance of it because of it. Um, it's just that there were times where it seemed a little overkill to me. 
Uh, mm -hmm. I can I can agree too. Yeah, so. but the performance itself was fantastic. Being this, like this, just see being an observer of this world. They're not involved. They try not to involve themselves in affairs unless it's something that goes against the will of God. And I think Caitlin portrays that very well, just being not having this emotion and being this omnipotent being that's just observing the world as Michael is. It makes a lot of sense going in that direction. Um, and then there's Bernard. <laughs> oh, sweet baby Jesus. Um, <laughs> similar to what you were saying, it, it, at that time when the show came out, it's a role that you would you would not normally ever see or hear Sonny portraying. Obviously, since then he's portrayed other similar characters to Bernard, um, in the tone of voice and the mannerisms and the maturity level that he has. But the big thing I really like with Sonny and his performance of Bernard is the subtleties behind it, um, the subtle motivations and intent. Uh, that two-facedness that you were saying before. And I think it all comes together very, very well during his monologue when he's talking to Maria when she's imprisoned. That's the moment where all of where like you were saying, if he goes if he goes over the top really fast in the crazy department, you're gonna lose it. It's a subtle progression as he's just monologuing to himself and just talking and just kind of thinking about everything. And he's just, you can tell in his tone of voice, he's slowly but surely like questioning everything and what he knew. And then he's just slowly coming into this little bit of insanity into like, oh, so what I actually believe has been wrong this whole time. What is all this? And then it still keeps up like that, like with his interactions with Gilbert and then eventually with Michael uh, toward um, in the last episode where some of that that calm subtlety is still there at first but then you get him started and the slowly progressing at a subtle pace and I really really like that so much about the performance with Sonny and and Bernard because of that because because again if you it's supposed to be a subtle growth in his change of mindset in this damn near insanity that Bernard portrays here and I really appreciate I really appreciate the, the subtleties and the slow progression rather than just going straight madness because there are there are characters that Sonny has portrayed before that go absolutely bonkers in a very short amount of time Bernard is not one of those and I appreciate Sonny's progression and the growth in that subtlety in the character um a lot i really i it's one of the performances in the show that you would not expect um but i really really love it and enjoy it very very much all right we ready to move on uh yes yeah, so though i will say this though after we're done yeah. with this you're helping me with this quiz because i don't ever answer correctly or i don't answer honestly so you're being my honesty check okay you're gonna be my honesty check too Cause uh, deal. Uh, apparently, I I got. Shown I've taken it like four times, and I I figured out how to get I, and I've I've gotten like Tokia I, Natsuki no Toya, so I don't know. I I haven't even tried. I guess I'm it a, again. I but. guess I guess I'm a slut. So <laughs> <laughs> I am a whore. It's all right. I am an Uda. Speaking okay, look, of I... whores, <laughs> Alex. <laughs> Let me stop. Never mind. Speaking of whores, no, we are not on Artemis. <laughs> We're talking about Yet. we're talking about the male whore in the show. <laughs> oh, Galfa. 
<laughs> yes, we're gonna talk about a couple mercenaries. We're gonna talk about Galfa, and we're also gonna talk about Lolette. Uh, Galfa is a mercenary. Galfa is an asshole. Galfa is an asshole. <laughs> Galfa is an attempted rapist, and he got what he deserved. Yes. Um. He he's a mercenary in this band as well as Lolette, and he originally he meets Joseph during Joseph's first battle, and the two kind of become friends. Or each other's confidant in a few different things. Um, but Galfa is a raging dickbag. <laughs> Galfa... That's putting it nicely. Yeah, I know. Galfa, despite having his own ambitions and his dreams that he drunkenly told Joseph one day. I have a dream! I want to be a knight! I, I have a dream! But, um, I just want to see France lit up like a... Bing. Right, but I'm gonna <laughs> climb up in these corpses and become a king on horses. Just that, I had dream. <laughs> All right, stop it. Um. Oh come on, that was funny. Yeah, but <laughs> but basically, with Galfa, unfortunately, the means to him rising to power are are not really paved with good intentions. He doesn't really. He kind of does some shady shit. Um. Meanwhile, Lolette. She is, she's in the mercenary band as well. She's probably the main female figure we ever see from the mercenaries as well. And is she might as well become the leader of the mercenaries. At the end. She's a badass. I love her. She's amazing. Why isn't she the leader? Like, and she also gets on Galfa's she's, case about she, a bunch of shit. It's great. She's the leader in my heart. <laughs> she's the leader of my heart. Um, anyway, as Lolette, I'm going to start with her. Uh, we have Miss Alex Moore, who's been in series such as Fuka, Keijo, and Seraph of the End. And as Galfa, or Garfa, however, the spelling- Galfa, Garfa, it changes. It's two different fucking spellings, clearly, and it's like, which is- I think they say Galfa in the show. It's Galfa in the show. A-N-N has it as Garfa. I, I, Garfield? Garfield. God, I- <laughs> Garfield, God, Galfa I hate Gal this witch. Galfa is Garfield now. He is an orange cat. <laughs> Damn it. Maybe he would have gotten away with more shit if he was an orange striped cat. I don't know. <laughs> Galfa is I love, voiced- I love this Maria spinoff. <laughs> Galfa is voiced by uh, Chris Rager, who has been in series such as Assassination Classroom, Akka 13, Tor 13 Territory Inspection Department, and Rage of Bahamut Genesis. Megan, how do you feel about Chris and Alex's performances? So let's get Alex done really quick, because as much as Lilette's uh, in the show, she's also very much not in the show. Yep, um, pretty much. She kind of comes in and out. Uh, I I love when Alex Moore gets to play um, older female characters. Mm -hmm. um, as I open up my last thing of Haichu, because I'm starving. Um, I love her in this. And one of the things I really love is when Galfa finally gets his shit kicked in. Yes! She comes and gets him. She's like, oh, and huh, okay. That's where he is. That's where uh, he's been, hold, okay. Hold on, hold this for a sec. All right, up you go, buddy. Uh, is it that, uh, yeah, so uh, the mercenary's new leader. I'm going to take this bitch ass home. <laughs> and her um, her singing voice yes, is beautiful. It's beautiful, I love it. And it's it's a rare thing that you get to actually hear Alex Moore singing things. Because she gets um, like at least a solid minute of singing the song as she's carrying And it's Galfa really pretty as she's just yes. carrying Galfa's bitch ass outside. Um, <laughs> it's really good, I like it. Please, please let Alex Moore sing in things. Please, um, please, please put Alex Moore in more things. In more anime. Yes. She is amazing. Like, legitimately, one of Funimation's most underrated actresses. Mm -hmm. And I, I love her in this. And I love that she is, like, mature and funny and her voice. 
Sometimes it can fall falter a, a wee itty bit, uh, but I think that she was the right choice for this. Um, I genuinely, genuinely was actually very surprised because I did not remember her being in this. But then again, unfortunately, I wish her character showed up more because her character was the fucking best. I think at that time, um, though, Alex Moore was just starting out or getting starting to get larger roles at that time too. So I mean. A couple of years yeah, ago, nobody would she... know. I mean, a couple of years ago, nobody would really know who Alex Moore is, but now it's just like, yeah, oh. no, because Alex, yeah, because Alex Moore obviously uh, next season gets a very, very prominent role in uh, as one of the uh, Surf of the uh, Surf of the End cast members. Yes. Um, to which I know a lot of people were very genuinely mixed on her and Sarah for the End, but those people were wrong. She's um, she Mitsuba is a good girl. I love I love Mitsuba. Mitsuba's I love her Mitsuba. Girl. Her, 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 and Felicia on Jill's chemistry is some of the fucking oh, yeah, best of that the show. Um, anyway, but uh, here, but this is where I, I really want to talk about this. Um, I fucking love Chris Rager as these types of characters. Mm -hmm. Chris Rager is, I honestly like. This is going to sound like a shock, and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this. I absolutely hate going back and catching DBZ or Dragon Ball as a thing on when I'm home to watch Junami. Because I Hercule, yes, is a is a big thing for him and Mr. Satan's a big thing for him. But I feel like when they try to peg him into that role, they're missing out on a lot of things. Because Chris Rager has honest to God played a lot of my favorite villains. Yeah. Of the last couple of years. You, like, it's something you wouldn't expect. He actually has a lot more range than what you just normally and emotionality, yeah. An emotional depth and, and grasp on these characters. Um, it It's very... It, this is a... Uh, like, again, I do have another show where I like Chris Rager as a big doofy drunk character, and that's Token Rambu, and he's probably one of my favorite my favorite uh, side characters I mean, in that but show. If, well, like, let's has, just throwing out a couple more in there. I mean, there's um, Principal Asano. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Obviously, in the in the same season, he's eventually going to play uh, Priscilla Asano in his house station classroom. And um, he's obviously Galfa in this season. I mean, eventually uh, he also has Kaiser and Rage of Bahamut, too. Yeah, he's Kaiser. But the big one that I, I still think to this day is, like, the piece... Galfa is but a puzzle piece mm -hmm. in, in this growth. Um, and we talked about it a lot on, on, on this particular episode... Uh, to me, right now, Chris Chris Rager's uh, piece de resistance performance in life is uh, Albert Dessler in Yamato 22. Yes! Okay, I know, um, I see where you're going with this. And Galfa has a... is very much an antithesis of a character like Dessler. Where Dessler is charm and suave. It, suave. Uh, Galfa is too, because Galfa can, can get bitches like like flies to honey. Yes. Um I mean he but, he, he got he kinda got stuck in a formal duel for sleeping with a knight's lady. So uh, <laughs> like, and and he's like and I think one of my other favorite lines is well she slithered out of her clothes just as quick. Yeah. And he's such a scummy asshole. So and my thing is this like when when you first meet Galfa, I think the show does a really good job of painting him as Yes, he's a bad person, but you also kind of want to see him succeed yes. until he starts willingly going to Bernard and putting on this face and eventually comes to attempt to rape Maria. Yes. And then he that's when you're fully like, I want to see Galfa die. Um, and I think Chris Rager nails every step of that character. And it is one of the standout performances in the show. Mm -hmm. And I think when honestly, if 
you went back and looked at the 2015 winter Simuldub, um performances as a whole, I would say that it, that is his uh, very standout performance in that era. Um, which, again, please cast Chris Rager in more things as these types of characters, or even a good guy with that type of voice. Mm. So, um, But Steph, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, Alex Moore is a lot I wish she did more stuff a lot as a character because Alex Moore was great. Like having this mature counterbalance within the mercenaries because the main people because there's the re there's a method obviously to the my madness and splitting these up as I did with like Martha and Anna's the villagers, Viv and Edwina, the other witches. We have the church and now we have the mercenaries here. And Lalot is a very interesting character where she she does act like what you would expect from someone else who's in the same mercenary band as Galfa or anyone else, but she also does have some sympathy for these characters too. Like you can tell she has sympathy for Galfa. She has sympathy for Joseph um, throughout the show. So having a little bit of vulnerability and sympathy for these other characters like Lalat does is very nice touch and I love how Alex Moore portrays it very well um Chris Rager as Galfa if I'm correct in 2015 when Maria was coming out nobody expected Chris Rager as Galfa and there was a lot of 50-50 back and forth as to whether or not he fit in this role if I remember correctly. Because, obviously, if you've ever heard Chris Rager, he's a very gruff guy. <laughs> Galfa is not the, he is not like, and typically when you think of Chris Rager, you, you in his voice, you would think like big burly characters like that, right? Galfa is not, Galfa, yeah, Galfa's Galfa not that. that. Galfa is far from it. He, but he is this burly, manly kind of guy. He's this big burly guy, not his, no, Galfa's not this big burly guy, but he is very gruff and manly sounding. So, at first, when I watched a couple years ago, I was a little hesitant on it. I think I might have talked about it when I originally talked about the show a couple years ago. And I was hesitant on it. However, re-watching and revisiting the series, especially after seeing similar characters, especially Principal Asano in Assassination Classroom, and seeing that Yes, he is able to pull off these varying kinds of characters that are completely different than what he's typecast as, usually. It's fantastic. And with Chris Rager's voice in particular, it has this certain gruffness to it that I think it actually it calls for this character. Especially both as a rough-and-tumble sort of guy, it gives a very specific dynamic in this cast of characters that are more young sounding or doesn't have that type of voice that you would that you don't see otherwise because joseph obviously is not a gruff character uh bernard and gilbert no uh lecount guillaume is definitely not like i would say the only other character that comes close to gruffness is the guy who uh was leading the mercenaries that he kills jeremy inman's character yeah that's the uh, that's I, that's the closest, and even then, even then, Chris Rager's voice is a, can be a little bit more gruff as Galfa's compared to what Jeremy Inman did. Mm -hmm. And so, considering the dynamic of the cast, I think it's a really phenomenal fit. And Galfa's personality and his slow descent to this villainy, 
for his own personal gain, I think it's just portrayed very wonderfully by Chris Rager. It's, it's not... It's not one of those developments that is subtle, like what Sonny had to do with Bernard. Because Galfa is stuck in the middle of the action on a constant basis. Like, yeah. and a lot of the stuff that happens, he brings it upon himself at the same time. Bernard, Bernard just, like, Bernard is the intellectual person who, because of influence outside of his control, is changing his mindset. Galfa is the master of his own fucking destiny, and a lot of the shit that happens to Galfa throughout the course of the show, he does it because of his own choices and his own actions. Like, the duel he had with that night, he did it because he slept with his lady. The, the, the fact that he's suddenly leading the band of mercenaries, he murdered their old leader. The fact that Joseph now fucking hates him because he almost raped Maria. Like, all of these things and the end results that he has coming to him... It's his own actions. And seeing that different, that a different character through line for him is very interesting. And I really, really love um, how Chris was able to portray that. As far as performances go, it, especially like under underrated underdog performances from the show, Sunny Stray is definitely one, but Chris Rager absolutely is an underrated performance from the show as Galfa. Because it, it kind of goes back to... Because I think we've talked about this a few times before whenever we talk about Sonny Strait directed shows. He has a... Oh, that his cast lists are insane and nothing ever makes sense. His cast lists are insane and never makes sense, yes. And this is one of those times where it's a huge example of it. And I, it, it works so well. For Chris Rager and, as Galva, it works just so fucking well because of it. But uh, anyway, I digress. Uh, are we ready to move on? Mm-hmm. Okay, so moving on. We got three sections left. God damn it. <laughs> we got a trio in here, one of which needs a penis. <laughs> um. <laughs> oh, God. Honor and a penis. So we got the two familiars of Maria, as well as the observer that Michael sends to watch over Maria to make sure she doesn't do stupid shit. So we have... Maria's succubus Artemis. We have her incubus Priapus, who is not that complete of, a per of an incubus. And then we also have Ezekiel, who is an angel that Michael assigns to watch Maria, make sure she doesn't get involved with fights and stuff like that. Uh, as for... She's awful at her job! <laughs> she is terrible at her job. <laughs> like, horrendous. Anyway... The individuals voicing these characters as Artemis, we have Miss Whitney Rogers, who's been in series such as Ace Attorney, Overlord, and Prison School. As Priapus, we have Jerry Jewell, who's been in series such as Bakuno, The Disastrous Life of Psyche K, and The Heroic Legend of Arslan. And as Ezekiel, we have Leah Clark, who's been in series such as Barakamon, Death Parade, and Eden of the East. Megan, go first. Forgot who she was in Death Parade for like a hot minute. She's a... Um... Mayu. I think she's a who again? Who's she again? Mayu, I think that's the character's name. The girl that faces oh, Josh in, uh, in oh um, in um Ginty's bar. Ginty, she's the girl in Ginty's McCollum's bar. McCollum's fucking bar. McCollum's bar, har. Doctor Ginty. Thanks, Doctor Ginty. <laughs> um, ah, uh, that's an old joke. Uh, so I just want to say about Priapus that he woke up this morning with a bad hangover, and his penis was missing again. <laughs> it happens all the time. It's detachable. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to slip in a reference to God damn it. penis. Oh, God bless. 
So let's let's talk about the dickless wonder first. Um, I I I genuinely enjoy I genuinely enjoy Jerry's brolless beard piss. Um, in fact, actually, it has one of the lines I I actually missed the first couple times I watched the show, and it's actually the single funniest moment in the show. It is uh where Maria and Artemis are screaming about when uh she's just first made Priapus and Priapus is there and it's about to cut away and in like the softest voice Priapus goes, "Can I have the one I had as an owl back?" <laughs> I forgot that was a thing. Like it's such a like it's like a whisper it's like a blink and you miss it type of moment, and I I think Jerry gets it I think Jerry does a really good job as this character this is a. It's really weird because I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Jerry play a character this show, and then I remembered he's Isagai in Assassination Classroom, but then again, like, that's a really weird show. Mm -hmm. But this is a thing that I, I wanted to bring up. There are times that I think some of the line reads were a tiny bit flat because he was pushing his voice so much. Um, And this is a weird situation, and I again, I don't know if this would have happened. I'm not Sunny Straight. Um... But I feel like if this was a show that came out in potentially winter, uh, spring, or further back, that this would hundred percent would be a Justin Briner character. Probably. This is a Justin Briner character to me. It, that's that's the, the actor I would now think of, and um, it's really strange too. And I'll talk about Ezekiel. I actually thought it was another actress. Um, but I I still really love it. I still think it's great. It's very funny. It's very charming. There are there are some times where I feel like you can kind of tell Jerry is pushing his voice a little bit much to keep the younger the younger voice, because again, Priapus does have a body that's supposed to entice creepy priest men into having sex with him. Also, be uh, one of one of my one of the other really funny parts of the show is um the first time they try to get Priapus to have sex, and they throw him <laughs> in the window with that crazy older guy. Yes. And I don't know who plays that guy, but the guy's performance for like a one scene wonder was also I pretty fucking say, great. I want to say, why do I want to say it was Tyson or Chris George? Let me see if I if can it was Tyson. If it was Tyson, I laugh because he also has probably one of my. Uh, he also has probably one of my other favorite insults in the show. Also, who wants to climb the mountain? Um, but Jerry Jerry is a perfectly fine actor for this. Uh, Leah Clark as Ezekiel is. Very strange, because I also thought that this was a role that would have gone to Jade Saxton. Hmm. Uh, this re it reminds me very much of the the nuances and performance of a Jade Saxton character without being Jade Saxton. Um, and I love it. I love Leah Clark as Ezekiel, because Ezekiel, like I brought up in the Anne section, is a voice that is a child, but is a child, an adult stuck in a child's body that has to actually go back and become a child and lose their faith in what they believe is right. Mm -hmm. And I think Leah gets that in her performance beautifully. Um, Ezekiel is, gets that brattiness, gets that, hey! Like, like when she gets duped and she sounds similar but younger to Priapus, who I would think is, and but yet still older than Anne, which is a really good uh, leveling sense. Mm -hmm. For Leah to have, um, I think Leah does it wonderfully. But let's talk about the star performance of the section <laughs> of Whitney Rogers Artemis, which is by far, I, I actually think, the best performance in the show. Um, she has to do the big, sexy adult voice, kind of a bratty, rebellious teenage daughter, and like the chibi, adorable owl voice all in one character. And 
she delivers a lot of the double entendre with the sass and class you need. Um, a very defining part of her character is very early on when she comes in and goes, my hips are aching and her ass is just straight out in the scene. Mm -hmm. And Maria's like, put that away, would you? And it's like, my jaw hurts so much right now. I could really use something warm to eat. Uh, also, I like what she calls Priapus Garçon. Um, <laughs> it's really funny. Because he's stuck. I, he was relegated to cooking dinner sometimes. He's relegated to cooking because he doesn't have the, uh, what was it? I wish I could trade my ladle for uh, some real equipment. Yep. It was a good one. For No, I wish I could trade my ladle for a lance. Yes, I that's what it was. think another one of those lines. I wish I could trade my ladle for a lance. Uh, but Whitney just is such an all-star in this, and... I'm really sad because I don't feel like we get a lot of enough Whitney Rogers in our lives. No, it's very sad. And Whitney is a great human being as well. Side note. Yeah, no, I would, ch I would kick. I would love to go chill out with Whitney Rogers again. Um, so or get to chill out with her. But uh, I think I've talked enough, so I want to hand this over to Steph. Okay. Uh, I'm actually gonna start about start. Wow, start with Ezekiel. Uh, cause, cause Leah is. Ezekiel is does have a precocious side or precious. Oh, what I say? Yeah, she's precocious at times and very blind to the real world, but she slowly comes to understand the world and human sacrifice. Um, because throughout the course of the show, because she's spending so much time on Earth and because especially with Maria, she's seeing these different points of view and she's starting to learn that humanity does have its problems and that heaven and god and everyone else they're not really doing much of anything to help them like there she was originally taught not to interfere with a lot of human affairs and just to let things play out as they are but spending time with maria seeing her in action and see her ideals and all this her convictions slowly converts Ezekiel as to like maybe she's not a bad she's not a bad person after all like to the point where she doesn't want to see her die she's like just ask for forgiveness and then you won't have to suffer and then Maria's just like no because then I won't be who I am anymore and seeing Leah portray this progression for Ezekiel is very very intriguing and I enjoyed a lot um fun fact about Artemis and Priapus because I've I, when I, I read the first volume of the manga. So, in order for Maria to create a succubus or an incubus, she needs to have an image of something in mind for them. Just to kind of give them a, a look. So, Artemis is made after Maria's image a few years down, like, five to ten years down the line. Priapus, potentially, because there's a joke in here that's made in the manga, where... Artemis is like, oh, you can just make Priapus, Priapus's image after Joseph. <laughs> I think she makes it in the anime, too. I don't think that was made in the anime, I don't think. But, um, definitely in the manga, for sure. <laughs> it was hilarious. But, um, no, Artemis's reaction when she learned that Maria made her after herself, like, years down the line, she's like, damn, you look good. <laughs> it's great. Um... 
Artemis, I'm sorry, Artemis is hot as hell. Yes. Um, Artemis is like one of the single most attractive anime characters to me. I I won't deny you on that one. Uh, Speak. She's up there with Bishamon from Noragami with me. Yeah. Um, Priapus and Jerry Jewel's performance of him. Um, I, I think you are kind of right where it was early enough in the broadcast dub, simul dub era where it works for Jerry. But if you give it a season two later, you might have finally, you might have discovered somebody else who could really fit the role. But not to knock Jerry's performance because it's a lot of fun. He has so many. Oh, yeah, no, it's he has a so many fun. fucking dick jokes. It's great. <laughs> That's Priapus' entire existence is dick jokes, the anime. Um, but Priapus is also a very loyal familiar, very loyal to his master and just wants to do what he can to protect her because because he can't do the job that he was created to do he wants to be he wants to fulfill his duty in some sort of way whether that means he wants to risk his life to protect maria or if it's something menial like cooking dinner right so how jerry portrays priapus is an angsty teen but He's very loyal and very devoted to his master, and I do appreciate that a lot. And then Whitney, sweet baby Jesus, Whitney, <laughs> Whitney, why, why, why you do this? You are downright amazing. Um, she brings, she brings maturity as well as a guiding hand as Artemis. Uh, she, <laughs> God, she must have had a lot of fun working with the succubus moments. Oh my god, mm-hmm. it's great. Um, but she's very she despite her having a lot of sexual innuendos and is like, "Hey, you sh- you really need to lose that." All right, that's it. We're going to have you see a penis right now so you could finish your incubus right here now. Um, moments like that. But also with when the tonal shift happens, similar to Priapus, she is a very loyal familiar, wants to protect her master and wants to see her happy like at the end of the show when it's decided that ezekiel will be reborn as a human and she gets to choose her mother and she chooses maria when maria that's when you start crying yeah when maria looks to both artemis and priapus and is like but if i do this i'll still lose my magic and i'll lose you too also but they don't care they're like they don't they don't care. They would rather see her happy and have Ezekiel back in some way and they're okay with disappearing if that ends up being the case. Like it's very interesting the progression for both Artemis and Priapus throughout the course of the show and definitely both Whitney and Jerry perform that very well. But obviously the standout is Whitney cuz reasons. <laughs> but uh yeah, I real Seeing these three as larger characters, for sure, it's a fun dynamic between the trio. It makes for Mm -hmm. interesting interactions, and it also brings more complexity to Maria's story as she is trying to not only defy, she's not only defying the church and doing what is right to her and her ideals, but she's also trying to find her happiness in the end. So it's very interesting to see these three characters go about all right, we ready to move on? We got two characters left. Yeah. So, our last two characters, uh, we're going to talk about them separately. Uh, we're going to talk about Maria's love interest, Joseph, next. 
Joseph is a vassal for Le Count Guillaume, um, who at first you really only see him delivering these arrows and letters to Maria for requests to help people. Um, but slowly over time, he does develop romantic feelings for her and is one of her confidants and will basically go to bat for her. Like, as you can easily tell when he beats the ever-loving shit out of Galfa at the end. Hell yeah! Hey, motherfucker! Um, he also likes snow cones. <laughs> also <laughs> he also likes... He's not He's not friends with Bernard, He's though. not friends with Bernard. <laughs> Sorry, the episode one commentary is a riot, by the way. Um, the individual who's voicing Joseph, we have Austin Tyndall, who has been in... Austin Tyndall! Of course, you have to throw that in there. Uh, who has do. been in series... I'm legally obligated. You are legally obligated. Um... And Austin, if you have not heard of him before, at this point, you are living under a rock, I think. What is wrong with you? Uh, but you might have heard him in series such as 91 Days, Assassination Classroom, and Snow White with the Red Hair. Megan, what are your thoughts on Austin Tyndall as Joseph? I like Baguette Karma. <coughs> Again, drinking coffee. Bad timing. Baguette... Get you a man who would shoot the Archangel Michael twice. Hell yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gays. Ladies and gays. Yes. Get you a man that will shoot the Archangel for you. Twice. Twice. <laughs> and punch out your attempted rapist. Yes. Uh, no. I, I, this is so weird to talk about, like, this as an Austin Tyndall character. Because of the season the show came out. Surprise, Tokyo Because, Ghoul. surprise! No! No! Karma! Oh yeah! Tokyo Ghoul and Karma in the same season. Karma. And then, like, next season he'd be Crowley, which is, like, the lawful, the, Win law, the chaotic 20, neutral no, of Karma. Winter 2015 turned into, like, a the, the trinity of no, Austin with, like, like Okay, look. Karma, the and- The first six Tonic. months of 2015 might as well have just been Austin Tyndall the year. Yes, actually. Um, You're right. <laughs> like, like, Jesus, fuck. Um, Okay, look. Okay, look. On the alignment chart, Joseph is the lawful good of of Austin. Yes, he is. <laughs> Crowley is the chaotic neutral. Uh, Kaneki is uh um chaotic good. Yes. Karma is true neutral. <laughs> we have to do the alignment charts of Tim. The we alignment need chart to. of Tim. No, Gene. No, Gene Otis is true neutral. There we go. Gene That's Otis right. is true neutral. Gene Otis is true neutral. Karma is, is lawful. Is um is a uh, chaotic. Oh <sighs> uh, no, is a uh, neutral. Uh, chaotic neutral. Yeah, probably. I think he's chaotic neutral. Yeah, I think he's more um, chaotic neutral. Anyway, and then there's Obi. I love Obi too. Fuck. Oh. All right, we need to make this alignment chart later. Never mind. <laughs> we're gonna have to talk to. We're gonna. We're gonna have to do this off episode. Yes, we are. Uh, <laughs> we'll make one and then we'll post it in the episode. We'll post it on the Discord. Yes. We'll post it on our uh, Twitter. Yes. And in the episode, we'll we'll try to make it for the episode. <laughs> um, no, but it's so weird, especially in this season, because Joseph is such. He's also a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the funnier thing. Um. I'm usually hella hard on people who uh, are matched up to Joseph Seiyu. Because, uh, fun fact, uh, Joseph's an Ono Kencho character. Ah, uh, yes. He is played by the same guy who plays uh, Mika and Sarah for the end, and um, 
for those of you watching uh, subbed anime right now, he's currently uh, Giorno in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, he's also Kuroko, and there's actually a really great um, set of art of um, the people who have been prominent Kuroko characters and prominent JoJo characters. And my favorite one is the two Junichi Suwabe characters trying to punch each other out. Um, That's great. But, but uh, I think what Austin nails about Joseph is Joseph's uh, kindness and sense of heart. Yes. In that Joseph is a, he's all he also gets the awkward virgin aspect down too. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And, and there are times where his screams did genuinely remind me of his performance of Kaneki. And it, the, I think the best thing to equate Joseph to is. Because we did not see this side of the character until much after uh, Joseph was a performance. Uh, Joseph reminds me very much of the uh, original Kaneki you meet yes, in Tokyo Ghoul. Absolutely. It's a very similar performance. And and they're both performances I genuinely like. They're, they're, they're things that are very approachable uh, for newer listeners. They're very easy to get behind. Um... I think uh, Austin's always been very good at, like, very spastic reactions, <laughs> which, uh, Joseph gets a couple. So, um, all in all, it's just a, be it's, I want to talk more about this, but I don't want to take more time because I think one of the other really good things is that Joseph's chemistry, not only with, um, Maria's actress is great, is, um, Joseph's, uh, chemistry with Chris Ray, uh, Austin and Rager's. Yes. Uh, Tindall and Rager's chemistry is very good as... Uh, friends to eventual enemies and rivals. Mm -hmm. And I think that Austin's naivete turned to not... Joseph doesn't become jaded with the world, yep. is something I enjoy. Joseph, Joseph, up till the very end of the show, does very much think lowly of himself. And he's like, I've always been controlled by people. I'm a puppet. And he has very low self-confidence, which leads to another great Artemis line where he's yelling this and Maria smacks him. And Artemis goes, oh, thank you. Yes. Um, and, he, and he quite literally gets the shit smacked, the sense smacked into him. And I think Austin really does nail naivete. And I'm very happy that this... Because Austin is another actor I uh, who has a voice that's very distinct. Mm. Um, but... And there are there are, there are a couple actors I have this with where, like, I will always know when Vic Mignon is in a show. I will always know when Ian Sinclair's in a show. I will always know when Austin Tindall's in a show. And I will probably always know when Todd Haprecorn's in a show. Yeah. Uh, but he's an actor that I can separate the 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 actor from the character. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, he has not gotten to that point. Um, it's not an oversaturation issue, like with with Vic, honestly, but, um, I, I think that Austin is a perfect, a perfect choice for this. I don't think I could see anybody else being Joseph. Yeah, I honestly have to agree with that, because Joseph is a precious cinnamon roll good too good and pure for this earth. Like, <laughs> not even gonna front, he's really precious. <laughs> Again, get you a man who will shoot the Archangel twice and then beat a man half to death for your, for, for your purity. Um, for her, for her honor and purity, um, but yeah, like in in a season where, because it's interesting we talk about Austin now and how much we we've come to love him because back then in 2015 in the winter when we really started to see, him I remember more, us all being like very much like, uh, is this gonna yeah, work? 
Like back then, we were all kind of iffy about it with multiple ro multiple roles. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. one, it tells you how much how far we've come in our stupidity, and learning that Austin Tyndall is a fantastic actor uh, and can do no wrong. Uh, he can do no wrong. Similar to he can do he can do some wrong sometimes, but not like. I mean, look agreed. here, guilty. He done anything look egregious. here, guilty crown was before he got, before we really started to love him as an actor. You can't fault. Ah, him. guilty crown, the darling of the Franks of the first ten years, the first part of the 2010s. Ha! Anyway, but in terms of Joseph as a character, he's very he he he's the male. Him and Maria are on similar terms, where they can be very innocent sexually. I'm gonna throw that part out there. Um, cause Galfa teases hmm? Joseph a lot. <laughs> Galfa teases him a lot. Um, but Joseph's character is more than the male equivalent, equivalent to Maria in terms of innocence and sexuality. He, like you were saying, he's not entirely confident in himself, um, because he's been controlled so much, despite him, he, cause... His heart lies with Maria and is devoted to her. However, there are forces that there are forces that are controlling him, and he can't seem to escape from it. Like he's he's always concerned about Maria, and it gets to a point um, when the Count Guillaume comes in here and he's trying and and um, Joseph wants to go to Maria, free Maria, all this other stuff and is like, can we, can't we spare her, please, like, please and then Guillaume's just like why do you keep talking about this girl? Like, why? why? What is with her? And then, um, why, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Yeah, and then what? what is a line that Galfa has to Guillaume? He's like, if the boy followed his loins, then I wouldn't have to. Something along those lines. I wouldn't have these problems. Yes. Yeah. After um, the attempted assault on Maria, the Galfa does. Um, so Austin, Austin has this inner conflict, and he sees himself as a coward for not for not stepping up and taking a stand against everything going on here because he loves Maria to death. But he also he also has eventually does have that courage within him. But he's also very compassionate um, towards... He's compassionate to both sides because he sees what Maria's doing and he wants to help her and be at her side. But he's also been thrown into a few battles as well. So he also mm -hmm. sees the other side of it as well as like t hanging out with Galf and the other mercenaries and all this other stuff. He see he's in the middle of this conflict which messes with his own ideals. And eventually because he he loves and is devoted to Maria so much, he decides to side with her because he doesn't want he he's, he wants the same goal as Maria and wants to as he puts it walk by his side walk by her side and just go with her. So considering the innocence that Joseph has, considering the inner the inner turmoil because we don't really see that inner turmoil until the last third of the series, especially with his monologue in the church to Maria after kicking the shit off Galfa. Um yeah, we don't see that inner turmoil, but eventually it, 
it's similar to Bernard. It's a subtle progression in his character. It's a subtle progression because we see Joseph in the middle of these, in, on each different side and seeing him, how he reacts to all of this and slowly how his ideals are changing. It, it subtly leads up to this moment where he has this outburst and he's pissed. He's pissed that Galfa just defiled her. He's pissed that he's pissed that a friend could do this. He's pissed that that his ideals, what he originally thought, he he's that he can't get out of this control that he's stuck in. And mm-hmm. to see both that small, subtle progression in the character as well as the end result of it at, by the end of the show. Austin portrays every aspect of Joseph phenomenally, and I loved every single second of it. A few years ago when this show came out and the dub was a thing, you could probably question the amount of roles he's in and be hesitant on his performances of these roles because of previous roles. However, like, looking at it a few years later now and knowing how capable of an actor he is, I'm with you. I can't see Joseph as anybody else but Austin. Like, hands down. Yeah. Like, he, he, he's a very talented actor, and I really, really appreciate what he did with Joseph as a character. Also with his dynamic with, um, his dynamic and chemistry with some of the other characters, Maria, which we'll talk about in a second, but you, like you said, like his, his chemistry with, with Chris Rager's Galfa as well. It's a very interesting counterbalance and and dynamic between the two of them. So, uh, I mean, I am looking back on it now. I'm absolutely Joseph. I think was one of the roles that I really turned my opinion around on Austin. It wasn't actually Kaneki or Kama, Karma. It was Joseph. So, like, hands down, like, one of my favorite performances of the show itself, too, is Austin as Joseph. Um, I've been rambling on long enough about, abs- about a lot of stuff. So, we have one more character, and it's our titular virgin witch herself, Miss Maria. Uh, Maria is the Again, titular virgin witch, she wants to see the end of war and bloodshed and conflict because she hates it a lot. Um, and she kind of gets herself in precarious situations half the damn time. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but of course, the main storyline is Michael comes in here, tells her, you're not allowed to be involved in conflict. If not, you're dead. But also, if you have sex, you lose your damn powers. If you lose your virginity, you're not a witch no more. <laughs> Um, so that becomes a fun little conflict for her. Though, to be quite honest, that one's kind of played... That that part of the story is kind of played down a bit. Like, that's not the main th- issue here. It's her, her actual... Dis- her actual, actual um, hate for war and conflict. And I find that very fascinating. That even though in the summary it seems like a major plot point, it's actually not really. Um, but anyway, I digress. Voicing Maria, we have Alexis Tipton, who has been in series such as Aka 13 Territory Inspection Department, My Hero Academia, and Shiki. Megan, how do you feel about Alexis's performance? I'm laughing now because I realized later down the line that despite playing lovers in this show, Austin and Alexis would play brother and sister in another show I really love. Wait, which one? I forget. Oh, to- uh, Lada and Jean. To- what? Lada and Jean. Ah, also Token Rambo to Lada an extent. And- Oh yeah, because they're uh, they're Money Shota and Meteray, yep. aka Best. I thought you were talking about Tony Rambo for a second. I'm like, oh yeah, they were brother and sister. In Akatu. Okay, everybody, 
Well, no, they're brothers in Aka. They're brothers in Token Rambu. Midoriya is not a girl. Midoriya no, is a boy. No, I was saying they're brother and sister in Aka, though. I forgot yeah. about that part. I was gonna say they're brother. They're brothers in Token Rambu. They're in the words in the words of Josh Gurley's character for Token Rambu. Hocho, there are no women in the Citadel. <laughs> there are it's, okay. It's correct. And there are no married women in there are no married women in the Citadel. But Hocho. It's like one of my favorite deliveries of the year is Josh Gurley's fucking mom voice. Yes. <laughs> Josh's goddamn mom voice as a uh, as Ichigo as a uh, Ichigo Hirfuri. Uh, but no. Oh, Alexis just has so much energy and charisma to her as Maria, which is something that's needed. Maria, if Maria did not, as a performance, have her be a hundred percent committed to everything that she says. It would be lost as a performance. Mm. Uh, you, I feel like as uh, Alexis, as an actress, had to basically put her entire heart and soul into this performance. Because if Maria does not stand up for her convictions, it is a it, it is a waste. It it ruins the illusion of the show. Um, I think her her. Uh, like uh reactions are perfect i think she nails the screaming and stuff i can see some people complaining potentially about it being a little bit shrill but i never felt that mm-hmm. um as a performance um i think that she nails a lot of the quiet drama just as much um one of the scenes that broke my heart is when she's a bait a little girl and the village casts her out yes. that eventually does like oh my god stop barking you two morons Doggo! Doggos are mad at me for putting uh, antlers on them earlier. <laughs> Doggo. Um, it was it was really cute. You can put that in the in the episode, just a picture of my two dogs. Um, but I think what really gets me is that Maria sounds like a teenager because she may have the body of an adult, but I feel like her and Joseph are potentially like 18, 19. Around then, yeah. They're still pretty young. Um, especially for that time period. They don't sound like children like Anne or Ezekiel, but they don't sound older like Galfa and Galfa Bernard or um, Alex Morris girl. I can't remember her name. Lolette. They don't sound older than uh, Bernard, Galfa, or Lolette. They don't sound too young like Ezekiel and, um, and Anne, but they also don't sound as young as Gilbert sounds. Yes. And that is something that's really tricky to do when you have uh, characters whose ages aren't really specified. Um, I don't think they ever say how old Maria is. Maria is uh, obviously uh, old enough to probably be Martha's age. because She was a little girl when Martha was a little girl. But she doesn't sound like it because her body isn't that old. Mm-hmm. Her body is not the same, the same age. Um... And I think that that's something I appreciate from the direction and the acting is that they kept Maria and Joseph sounding very similar in age yeah. and not too close to the other ones. Um, but I, I genuinely enjoyed it. I thought Alexis, I don't know if this is my favorite Alexis Tipton performance. Like, I don't, I can't say it's my favorite Alexis Tipton performance because um, a couple a couple of months later, uh, my favorite Alexis Tipton performance of all time kind of came out on DVD. So, um, and that's a uh, Kofku from Noragami. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes. That is, I think that's like, I think that's like everyone's favorite Alexis Tipton character. Probably. 
Uh, but no, I'm done. Go ahead, stuff. Yeah, Alexis, Alexis, like you were saying, I do have to agree with a lot of it. She has a lot of spunk, she has a lot of energy, a lot of charisma, but Maria is a more complex character than just that. She's, Mm -hmm. she does have her own convictions, and she does stay true to her ideals and those convictions, but... Excuse you, hiccups. Uh, (laughs) That was perfectly timed. But, um, when we get to the last third or so of the show and Maria is captured and she starts questioning everything within herself. Like, is this really what I should be? Is this, was was everything I've been doing just pointless? Am I just gonna, who am I really doing this for? And all this other stuff. She's having these internal questions for her own self and those dramatic moments, such as I have to give her as Chris Rager credit where credit is due. That assault scene. We didn't really talk about it much, oh, yeah. that much with Chris Rager, but I'm going to give him and Alexis props for that scene because that is a very intense and scary scene. And like we were saying earlier, it's, mm-hmm. that, it's that point where the tone of the show shifts. Like, does a 180 on itself. And if that scene was not portrayed in a mature and respectful way it would have come off terrible and the rest of the dub of the of the show would have suffered so i really suffer yeah. for it so i re- first of all props to both alexis and chris rager for that scene because it was just unfortunately my my lack of word my my i'm gonna use the words it was beautifully done Despite it being a horrific, horrific incident. That's really the only way to describe it. It though. was really well yes. acted and it was really well it was handled. very so. well handled. I have to give both of them props on this one. Um, but Alexis, she does have this innocent naivete about her. Um, along with that inner conflict with her own desires. Because at the end of the show, she realizes where her happiness lies and she finds it for herself. And um, that that scene at the end of what? Episode 11. Where she she and Joseph are dragged up to see Michael. And she's like, look, Michael. All right, bitch. Like, look, Michael. I found it. I found my happiness. I guess we're paramours now. It's, it's like, it was so adorable. It's this motherfucker. Like, it was so adorable. Like, all of a sudden, like, I'm going to ride him like a broom. Ah, no, but when she, when she, I'm going to ride this weaselly looking motherfucker like a broom. No, like when, when that whole incident in the church, ha- in the church happens at the end of the show and, um, the two of them basically do confess their love for each other. And all of a sudden she's just like, so happy, the happiest you would ever see Maria. And she's just like, thank you all. Thank you all for everything. <laughs> I have found my happiness. It's so adorable. Like, because she is this innocent, sweet, innocent girl at heart who's just, despite all this bad shit that's happened to her, she's found her true happiness, and it's so cute. And so the progression that Maria has throughout the series, coupled with the convictions that she has and the prejudice against her, that's against her throughout much of the show, it's... There's so many complexities to Maria as a character, and I think Alexis is did a phenomenal job in playing every single aspect of it, which such energy, charisma, 
confidence, um, internal conflict with everything. And it's just so much fun to see um, and watch her go through that progression. And again, like we've been saying a few times, her chemistry with other actors and performances is just top notch. Like, again, we brought this up a few times. Chemistry with Austin is Joseph. Spot on. Chemistry with um, Ezekiel. Spot on. Chemistry with both Artemis and Priapus. Spot on. With Anne and Martha. Spot on. It's it's such a strong dub in terms of character dynamics and chem vocal chemistry that it's just, oh, love it. Um, I guess this is as good as time as any to really go into our final thoughts on the dub. You think so? Yes. Okay. So, because you need to run downstairs. I need to do my laundry. I, I need to do laundry <laughs> because shortly after this, we're gonna finalize viewers' choice nominees. Megan, go. Uh, so my final thoughts on this uh the show is this. I think that it got a lot of flack during uh its original stumbled up, but the home video version that uh we watched uh really polished it up. If any at all polishing needed to be there. I think that this is a dub that is incredibly solid, especially as a show that started out as one of the first official uh, Sumble dubs. Um, or one of the first big batch of Sumble dubs, which had a lot of really mixed bag mm -hmm. things. Um, for as much as I love a series like Yona of the Dawn, its dub was very shaky. Um, I know a lot of people had problems with things like uh, Mikaraga School Suite, World End. Uh, I know a lot of people had uh, some issues with Yuri Kuma. Mm -hmm. Mikaraga uh, School Suite, I think, was but... the season after, though. I think Mikaraga was Mikaraga School Suite. It was Suite? the season was, after. Like after. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't okay. on the same season as this. Oh yeah, because it was a Sunny Straight show, and Sunny didn't do yeah. these shows. Um, but I'm, I mean, of that beginning, like first season or two, I remember there being very much back and forth on uh, what was considered good mm -hmm. or not. And I think that this is an incredibly good dub. I think it's underrated as hell. I think the writing is top-notch. I think the, the casting is top-notch. A lot of the acting is great and from some unexpected sources. Uh, but no, I, I genuinely think that everyone should at least try to give this show a shot um, in general because it's really good also. The show itself is just a lot of fun and very thoughtful and very pe and very charming. Uh, so <laughs> you're going to have a fun time editing this down. Anyway, final thoughts. Um, yeah, this is absolutely an underrated dub, especially coming out at the time that it did, where it was the first big batch of broadcast dubs and the program was starting to really expand itself. And it's not only in the project itself, but the talent pool, the directing pool, everything. Like like Megan was saying at the, at the start, it had been, Sunny Strait had admitted it had been 10 years since he had directed something. And this was his first show that he came back as a director to do and I this dub is phenomenal a lot of the little nuances and subtleties in the writing are just fantastic the casting is very diverse and very different than what you would normally expect but is very spot-on uh, performances are absolutely amazing and it's it's absolutely an underrated show itself and it's also an underrated English dub so in all honesty if you have not seen Maria yet you really ought to not only because not only because the show is good it's a good show but it's in the English dub is good but also the kind of see how far we've kind of come since then too with what had been produced at the time and um 
I think it still stands. It's the dub itself still stands very well and holds true today um, as a really, really phenomenal production and a phenomenal dub. Um, but yeah, I would say go and go and watch it and go and see it. It's a fun time. Uh, if you are interested in seeing the English dub of Maria the Virgin Witch, the only ways you can do so is through Funimation Now. Uh, they are the current licensor of the show, uh, which Funim Funimation Now is their streaming service They that you need a subscription for. They do offer a 14-day free trial uh, for their services. However, your usual note with these kinds of things, uh, if you do not like the service at the end of it, make sure you cancel it because they do ask for credit card information at sign up. Um, the other way you can catch Maria the Virgin, which as of now is also through the home video release. Um, there is only a Blu-ray and DVD combo pack, the initial uh, release as of now. It has not been re-released into another version, whether it's classic, where it's classics or the new Essentials line. Um, it has not been re-released. There's only the initial uh, first home video release as of right now. Uh, there is also the manga Maria the Virgin Witch uh, from Kondasha, as I previously mentioned at the start of the episode. It's actually a very short manga. There's only three volumes, and then there's a fourth volume, but that's more of like a side story uh, involving Viv. Uh, but, at least from my understanding, I still need to finish reading it. But, if you're interested in anything that we do, uh, Megan, you can follow her on Twitter at QueenEra2. She also sometimes hangs out on the Funimation forums and the Funimation Discord. Uh, you can always say hi, and make, and she will give you shit jokes and shit posts all day long. <laughs> you just gotta commit to you them. You do gotta commit. You gotta commit, boys and girls. No, Kermit! Kermit. <laughs> no, Kermit! <laughs> ah, shit! As for me, you can follow me on Twitter at like Anime Review with review being spelled R-E-V-U-E, where I post random shit. <laughs> Mostly daily life and how things are really weird and stuff. Um, I also do have my blog if you're interested in just general th opinions and thoughts on personal stuff and anime and a bunch of general stuff, um, you can follow me at lifeandtimesotaku.wordpress.com. Uh, if you're interested in anything that the Dub Talk podcast actually does around here, the easiest way to do that is to subscribe here to us on YouTube. We appreciate the support there, as always, um, where we post, where generally we try to post once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending on what's going on. And we also have a Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitch account, all at Dub Talk Podcast, and hey, if you really like what we do, and you do want to support us, we do have a coffee account. If you're interested in donating and supporting the show, uh, we'll leave the link in the description below. You don't have to, but if you really feel inclined to, we do appreciate the extra support. Uh, is there anything else I should be talking about before we end the episode? I did not expect this to go as long as it did, but here we are anyway. I mean, with all the breaks that we took, it's probably going to be, like, under two and a half hours, honestly. True. Not going to lie. <laughs> but, um, any final thoughts? Any other words before we sign off for the day? Uh, yeah. So, for, uh, my next act, I'm going to, uh, turn, uh, all the guys on the podcast into a newt. Just, just, just don't turn one particular guy into a newt, please. <laughs> I would appreciate that. Oh yeah, I'll make sure. I'll make sure. I I can make sure to spare roots of justice. <laughs> that is not who I'm referring to, and you know it, you bitch. <laughs> da 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 da. <laughs> Anyways, have a good night, everybody, and otaku on, my friends. Oh.
episode takes place in a faraway kingdom and somehow I have been transported to another world where I am just a plush. It is I, Priapus, from Maria the Virgin Witch and Megan cannot do a good Jerry Jewel impression. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Amon, I can't do a Jerry Jewel impression so I'm going to make owl puns for a minute and a half. <laughs> and look at all of Megan's weeb shit. I mean, she's got Look at all of Megan's weep shit.